Ladies and gentlemen, we, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Folks, uh, we have a, a great show lined up for you tonight. Um, if you want to find out more about our show, new to the broadcast, go to HagmanReport.com, as well as HagmanAndHagman.com. HagmanAndHagman.com has all the information, show information, as far as guests who's coming on and when they're coming on and what we're going to be getting into in HagmanReport.com also has the guest information as well as news of the day, investigative reports, and a whole bunch of other content as we are continuing to to work on that and to to bring you as much as we possibly can. we got a a fantastic show lined up for you tonight. Um, In the first hour, we're going to be joined by um, Alex Wilson from Precious Timber. He's also going to have his his business partner on, and and John Robertson is going to come on uh, with us in this first hour, uh, to talk with Alex about a number of different things. And then in hours two and three, we have a returning guest, Debbie Bacigalupi. She is the senior editor at Technocracy News, uh, Patrick Wood. Uh, he's the author of Technocracy Rising. She works with him, but she's going to be coming on to talk about the United Nations Agenda 2030. She's an expert on on this issue, and she's going to be discussing the internal and political agenda behind uh, what the United Nations has been doing in furthering their objective for Agenda 21, transitioning it to Agenda 2030, and how that is affecting us not only globally, not only nationally, but most importantly, locally. Uh, there's a lot of things that have been going on behind the scenes, and and also in our faces, and we're going to uh, speak with Debbie about what we can expect with some of the changes we've seen with the Trump administration from, you know, climate change and global warming, and how that lines up with what the United Nations is doing. So it's going to be a fantastic show, and, and we're going to get started as uh, I want to say a quick thanks to, to John Robertson, as well as Todd from Global Star Radio Network. Folks, if you um, there's a number of different ways you can listen to us. We're audio only tonight and tomorrow night. But you can go to Global Star Radio Network. You can watch us live on our archive on both YouTube and on Blog Talk Radio. And the podcast goes out to all the different podcast outlets such as iTunes. Um, and without further ado, we have our guest with us. John, I'm going to bring you on first. And uh, then we'll bring on Alex and, and his business partner. Welcome, John. Oh, well, Joe, thank you so much. And I just want to say greetings and, and God's blessings to all of the Hagman listeners this evening uh, on a fine Thursday. And, you know, Joe, I'm, I'm excited about this hour. I had the opportunity to speak with uh, uh, Alex Wilson earlier today. And there's so many aspects 
that I want the folks who hear us over the next hour to consider. And I know, Joe, that you and I have discussed some of these things in the past as well. So I'm just going to take a quick moment uh, to say a few words, and then we'll bring Alex and his partner, Ken Ross, in. First of all, folks, it's a great blessing uh, to be joined by Alex and Ken this evening, because over the next hour, you'll be hearing from the Northern Olympic Peninsula of Washington, uh, Northwest Pennsylvania, California, and Nicaragua. Uh, Ken has been kind enough to join us from several thousand miles away, so it's a truly international hour here on the Hagman Report. And folks, the reason I wanted to uh, be part of this uh, conversation here in hour one this evening is because, you know, a couple weeks ago I turned 45 years old, and, you know, all of the years in Hollywood from age 28 to age 44, they just flew by so quickly. And and there's there's many things that the people who work in television and film production have in common. Probably the greatest is that we're just severely overworked. Uh, we work minimum 60 hours a week, often 70, very early mornings that, that drift into some pretty late evenings. So it's a full commitment type of, of occupation. The conundrum, folks, the, 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 the part that kills us all down in the, in the TV production and film production world is that it is truly a hamster wheel, and you can run as fast as you can, but you will never break free of the wheel, especially in a state like California, but also, Joe, in the area that you're in, uh, you know. And what I mean by that, folks, is I was blessed to make a pretty decent living uh, throughout my years in Hollywood. And yet, you know, I would say, I'm going to be completely transparent here, I would save $10,000, $15,000, and then there would be a couple months with no show. And before I knew it, Joe and, and Hagman listeners, I'd be two, 3000 in the hole. And it's just like starting over again and again and again. And the only thing that changes is you look a little bit older in the mirror, and you've had another birthday go by, and that's about it. And what is the number one American dream, folks? And it has been this way for many generations now. It's simple. But it's not easy, and it's just to own a little piece of something for yourself and for your family. You know, just a place to hang your hat that's yours. So you feel like you're, you're making progress every day. And Joe, as you and I discussed earlier, folks, even making reasonably good Hollywood money, the only people uh, in L.A. in production work that could really afford to purchase a home were people either in the highest echelon of the earning spectrum, camera operators and above, or people where both the mother and father were working and it's a dual-income home, and of course then the kids suffer. So I wanted to be part of this conversation tonight because I wanted to give the Hagman listeners a new perspective and maybe even some hope that there are still opportunities out there where you can you can do something for yourself and for your family, and it's really not very expensive. That was part of it. The other part of it that I'm really excited about, folks, those of you that have been with the show a long time, you remember Doug and Joe and I talking back in 2012, 2013, about, about adopting a preparedness mindset. Uh, there's all different problems in the world, and we don't know exactly what's coming, but most of us around the Hagman campfire agree that there is a mathematical certainty that we have an economic reset coming our way. And our guest this evening, Alex Wilson and his partner, Ken Ross, again, checking in from Nicaragua, they're going to speak to exactly that. And that being said, Alex, are you with us, sir? Hey, good evening, John. How are you? Oh, I'm doing very well. Alex, thank you so much for spending some time with us this evening. And Ken Ross, are you with us? Uh, yes, John, I am. Thank you for your time. Oh, well, thank you for your time as well, and I'm thrilled to uh, to take some time here to speak with both of you gentlemen. Alex, what I'd like to do uh, is hand it to you. Why don't you take a moment, introduce yourself and your 
your business ventures to those of our listeners who are not familiar with who you are, and if you would also be so kind, Alex, as to give us uh, an introduction on Ken as well. Absolutely, John. Well, it's a pleasure again, and uh, I do appreciate uh, the opportunity, um, the uh, support that we give to uh, to the Hagman and Hagman uh, platform. Of course, the uh, the Daily Show too has been um, tremendous for us. Um, I've been a, a listener now for quite some time through a client, a client of ours actually said, hey, you should listen to these guys. They have some good uh, good topics and good stories, and um, you probably uh, might even uh, uh, find yourself a new uh, bunch of friends, which we have done. So that's been, uh, it's been tremendous. Um, I've met Ken Ross uh, all the way back in 1986 um, when I came to the U.S. and um, decided to call this place home. I was one of those, uh, it's funny how your story there, John, is, uh, is, is mirrored mine. Growing up in the UK, um, through the 60s, it was getting tougher and tougher, of course. We lost the world's reserve currency status after the UK did what uh, America has been doing here for the past uh, oh, two, three, four decades. Uh, we, we kind of uh, overspent. We're in debt up to our eyeballs. We printed a lot of uh, pound sterling, and by the uh, early 60s, we just couldn't couldn't sustain it anymore. Massive strikes, massive upheaval, um, a devaluation of our currency, and then uh, the 70s, uh, all the way through the 60s and well into the 70s, uh, we had what's now gone down as a, a decade of, of discontent. And I grew up in that, and it was tough. I mean, um, you know, my my dad had to, had to end up doing two shifts a day, two eight-hour shifts a day. So I ended up putting a backpack on and uh, getting out of the UK and wanting to travel to try to find greener pastures. I traveled for nine years. I saw a lot of the world, saw 72 countries. And I ended up in the U.S. Um, in the mid-1980s and came here with a goal. Obviously, America, you know, you hear it all around the world. It's the, the land of opportunity. And so it was my opportunity. While I only had $40 in my pocket when I arrived, I was uh, feverently passionate uh, to start a business, to uh, to get going. And, and like you, um, you know, for, for, all, for quite some time, um, my money wasn't going very far. I certainly couldn't afford to uh, to own a house. Uh, but eventually, I uh, I broke away from that and was able to get onto the to that uh, sort of rat race, if you will, and, and and that hamster circle and that hamster wheel, and um, and got myself a mortgage, and um, you know, it, it made the American dream. And and unfortunately, I felt I was getting further and further behind as prices uh, of everything was were, were continuing to uh, to increase. Long story short, uh, I had this dream one day that I would love to own an oceanfront piece of property, something on the sand. And of course, uh, for those that have ever been to Southern California, uh, will know that uh, that's not affordable real estate. It's exceptionally high priced. And in 1999, I'm reading a um, uh, an article in a uh, in a international living um, uh, publication uh, that was talking about Central America and Costa Rica and Panama and Belize and Nicaragua. And I knew I had this friend who had surfed all around the world 
and he worked hard. He had a, a small construction firm. He was a one-man show and, and did a lot of um, uh, hardscape and, and patio uh, remodels and things like that. But he always seemed to be able to take a vacation, saved his pennies and tuck himself around the world surfing. And of course, I'm talking about Ken. So I called him and asked him if he'd ever surfed Central America. He said many times. I said, how about Nicaragua? This is 1999. And he said, uh, absolutely, I've surfed Nicaragua. I surfed it in 1993. I asked him what it was like. He said, one of my favorite places. I said, how about Costa Rica? He said, well, I have a sore uh, taste in my mouth about Costa Rica. I had the chance to buy a nice property for $10,000 in the 80s. Of course, now in 1999, he said that $10,000 lot's worth about $150,000. So a year or so went by, and I kept on reading about this place. And in uh, early 2001, Ken and I decided, you know what? Maybe we should go and take a look at Nicaragua. So we jumped on a plane. Uh, we shot down there. And, of course, it was exactly as Ken had said it was stunningly beautiful. The one thing that was surprising to me, however, was how warm and friendly the Nicaraguans are towards Americans. Shook your hand, thanked you, tapped you on the back. You guys helped us become a free country. We've, we were shackled by a dictator for so long. Then we had the, the revolution in the 70s and the 80s, and now we're free and we're growing. And so Ken hey, and I... Uh, if Ken I can jump I in here, Alex, just yeah, real quick. Ahead, for people who might not be aware, um, you know, around the world, the anti-American sentiment is at an all-time high from, you know, the, the warmongering and, and the nation destabilization that we've been involved in. And uh, there's a very low opinion of Americans in many parts of the world. So what you're talking about is actually, it's rare and it's a blessing because... Um, you know, there, it's not, there's not too many, uh, countries, let alone populations out there that are neutral towards Americans or America. And to have a nation that is, um, very accepting and, uh, appreciates, uh, Americans, that, that's something that we shouldn't take for granted. That's all I wanted to say. Well, well you're right. It's a hundred percent. And, and, and I'm going to bring Ken in now because Ken moved there permanently. I mean, I go there many, many, many times a year. Of course, we have our business there. We're in, uh, heavily invested into uh, timber and agriculture, and we have um, a sizable team that uh, works with us. But Ken permanently moved to Nicaragua. Uh, he's an American. And why don't you share, Ken, your experience for the past 15-plus uh, years living there? Okay, I, I, I will. Thank you, Alex, and thank you, John. Uh, well, Alex kind of summed it up very good. He knows me very well. He is my best friend, and I've known Alex since 1986. And uh, I guess as long as I can remember being 16 or 17 years old, surfing had kind of became an addiction to me, and it, it created me the opportunity and the motivation and the drive to travel. And surfers always look for a couple of things. Number one, not a lot of people in the water and warm water. So my travels to Mexico and Costa Rica, Panama, and luckily, luckily I had seen an article 
uh, about a uh, show that was going to be on TV in 1993, a half-hour show on ESPN, and I watched it, and it explained about the serpent in Nicaragua. I would have honestly maybe passed on that because I was in the military in the late 70s, and so I'm very familiar with the the revolution, and it, it wasn't good in Nicaragua, but it needed to be done to get them to where they eventually were able to get to in 1989 of having free elections, having the democratic society, having the opportunity to to vote for the president for the first time. So thank God that I got a chance to see that program and and get a chance to go to Nicaragua in 1993. And when Alex and I finally got a chance to go there, and have the opportunity to be exposed to the prices on land, as Alex would say, along the coast, on the ocean front. It was it was a blessing. It was just something that it, it, it came to a point that we're in a country that was extremely poor, but they had endless amount of very God-based helpful missions coming down from the United States, flying in and helping in different different areas. And that set up the, the culture down there being very friendly towards the Americans because they seen plane load after plane load of people coming down, helping build churches, helping building schools, helping dig wells, helping people learn how to sustain themselves on the soil through uh, more effective planting of products and produce. I was completely overwhelmed with the opportunity to be able to live there. It was what I wanted to do my whole life, to be in a friendly society and to be in business with Alex, and we've done extremely well because we knew going into this deal that we had an opportunity to do something we were not able to do in the United States. There was no way in the world could we have been able to be blessed with employing the number of employees that we've had come on board with us over the years, and that was a great opportunity. And because you become a person known as providing jobs and helping families thrive, they bring very good people to you. And so our business was able to expand rather seamlessly, and we were smart enough to know that the best thing to do is hire the correct lawyers. And then I got introduced to the U.S. Embassy, and I had been volunteering with the Embassy for the last 11 years, just on a volunteer basis to help out the, the ever-growing expat community that's heading that way. And because of how safe Nicaragua is and the fact that we do have the services provided by the embassy, it's become a very easy place for people to make that move. The only thing that I see is a little bit of a disadvantage is it's become so easy to make that move that a lot of folks head that way without taking into consideration that perhaps they should learn just a little bit of Spanish first. But besides that, uh, I, I couldn't be more happy with the whole situation, and I'm 61 years old. I started surfing at 14 years. I was 14 years old when I started surfing, and I'm 61, and I still surf. I don't think I would have done that living in, in Southern California. I think the cold water, the need of a wetsuit, 
the crowd and the water would have demotivated me. But because I'll of the you, place where I'll I live... I'll tell you what, Ken, another thing, having just uh, relocated out of Southern California, that water's none too clean these days either. Uh, there's a lot of unique... Uh, uh, urban desertists floating around uh, the surfers uh, in Malibu. Uh, gentlemen, let me do this, if I may. And, Ken, thank you so much for uh, introducing yourself to our listeners. And I just want to uh, sort of frame this up a little bit, and then, Alex, I'll hand it back to you. And, and it sounds like a good place for us to start. Let's talk a little bit about how two guys, folks, you just heard, Alex was was out of the UK. The economy was bad. The, you know, the late 60s and early 70s in the pre-Thatcher era uh, England was a very difficult time, lots of people on the dull, really a, a flatlined economy and just a sense of hopelessness. So we have Alex Wilson who straps on a backpack and essentially becomes a world, a world traveler, a world, almost a world vagabond, if you will. And Ken, who just wanted to surf. And now, a few decades later, we've got these two gentlemen who are kind enough to share time with us this evening telling you folks that they've not only created a vibrant and viable business in Nicaragua, but multiple vibrant businesses in Nicaragua. And it's a win-win because they've been able to bring joy and sustenance into lots of the locals' lives down there. So, gentlemen, let's do this. Uh, I just want to remind the, the younger listeners, I'm talking right now to the people, let's say uh, the, the older millennials and the younger Gen Xers, age what? Let's call it 30 to 50, okay? So hear me out, folks. What we're looking at economically, and Alex, I'll pass it back to you. I, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the economic picture, and then maybe, Ken, you'd like to touch quickly on the political scene. And then we'll look a little bit at, at the culture and some of the preparedness-minded aspects of this. But, folks, consider this, okay? Looking back at the economic picture in the United States over the past uh, 75, 80 years, we had the stock market crash of 1929. Bottom line was people were buying stock on margin, they were making money hand over fist, but they were doing so on credit. That bubble burst, and we had this horrible decade known as the Great Depression. Moving forward, uh, 2001, the tech bubble. Basically, folks, anything in 1999-2000 with a dot-com attached to it was a moneymaker for a very short time. I was actually in San Francisco at that time and saw this firsthand. Again, moving forward, 2008-2009, what happened? the housing crisis. And again, I had a front row seat to that, uh, Alex, Ken, and, and Joe, because I was selling advertising at KKLA, the big Christian talker in Los Angeles. And I'm telling you, gentlemen, 75% of our clientele were either doing mortgage refis or what I called equity-driven purchases, skylights, flagstone, that type of stuff. And overnight, when that housing market bubble burst, we went, we flatlined, we lost almost all of our advertisers, and we frankly lost a lot of great salespeople from our team uh, because there was just no more money. What I want to submit to the listeners tonight, and Alex, I'll hand it back to you, sir. Folks, whether you've heard it from Doug and Joe, from Greg Hunter, Gregory Manorino, Stephen Menking, Joseph P. Meyer, all of the economy, uh, economic guys we bring on program agree on one thing. There is a dollar bubble, and when that dollar bubble bursts, and this is coming soon, folks, it is going to be the biggest explosion of a quote-unquote bubble in history, in the history of humanity. It's going to be a game-changer across the entire globe. And, Alex, I was not only enthusiastic about the stuff you were saying earlier this morning, but I actually felt very optimistic after our conversation that, hey, guess what? 
we don't have to be resigned to just grabbing some food buckets and a deer rifle and hoping for the best as the United States crumbles. There's actually a possibility for people who are so inclined with a little adventurous spirit to perhaps do something else. So with the understanding, gentlemen, that we do have a, a, an economic reset coming, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but we all agree that there's something around the corner that's going to hurt the average American and hurt them bad. So with that, with that understanding, Alex, how does, how does Nicaragua tie into this? What can, what can a young family, two-income family, they've got a few bucks, but they're almost check to check, what, what, can we, what can we offer these folks? Well, thanks to um, shows like the Hagman and Hagman Show, um, you know, the population is, is able to get the real truth. And the real truth, unfortunately, is the U.S. is in big trouble from a financial point of view. I'm not going to go into all of the numbers. I've done that, I think, before on this show. But anyone that's awake and alert and taking notice... America's in trouble. Now, on the other side of the coin, something amazing is going on in Nicaragua. Truly amazing. Just think, Ken, in the last 15, 16, 17 years that we've been down there, we see Nicaragua have now become, according to the World Bank and the IMF, the safest Central American, sorry, the safest Latin American country on, the, on, on earth, a country that protects its borders, a country that has a rule of law um, um, approach where safety comes first for not just the citizens, but for everyone in the country. But you don't get in the country unless you're of benefit to the country. Think about Nicaragua 17 years ago, Ken, when they were a net importer of every single kilowatt of power that they used. And today, they'll be able to say in a couple of years' time that they're the first nation on Earth to be 100%, 100%, energy independent. They create clean electricity, clean energy from windmills and from geothermal plants, from a variety of other sources, solar of course too. How about a country that was deeply in debt to the World Bank and to Alex. other nations? Alex, we're, we're um, running right up against the break. Uh, when we come back, we'll pick up right here where we left off. Folks, we're talking with Alex Wilson and John Robertson from Precious Timber. Um, and we're talking not only about uh, what what is what Alex offers through Precious Timber, but also uh, what's going on in, in Nicaragua, the state of our country, our economy, and much more. We're going to pick up right where we left off on the other side. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. In these uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel-burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass-burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Uh, right now, we're joined with uh, John Robertson and Alex Wilson from PreciousTimber.com. Folks, go, go to PreciousTimber.com and check out all the the content that they have on their their website, from audios to videos, photos, uh, and a number of other res- resources and information. Alex, before the break, we were talking about uh, basically the destabilization of the United States uh, from economically. Uh, yes. Socially, here we have you know all this division, um, and this this divide continues to build. The gap between the rich and the poor continues to build. The the wages uh, are stagnant, yet the prices of everything continue to, to go up. Why don't you pick up right where you left off before the break? Well, as I was saying, uh, Joe, you know, America's in trouble. Nicaragua's on the other side of things. I want uh, I want to just uh, ask our listeners tonight to picture this. Picture being 23, 38, 42, 55, but in 1910, when the economy... 
economy was booming, when the industrial revolution was roaring away, that's Nicaragua today. The opportunity in Nicaragua is unprecedented. It's not a nation that's overdeveloped with infrastructure breaking down. It's a nation that's underdeveloped with new infrastructure appearing all the time. So the opportunity is outrageously attractive. Now, when you add to the to the that that equation the fact that real estate is fee simple, meaning it's own it, but you can own it as an individual, as a foreign individual, a foreign corporation, a local Nicaraguan. They 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 look at land ownership exactly the way the U.S. does. It's in your name, but instead of it being twenty times the price of an automobile to find a nice place by the ocean, or like where John and I are in California, where it's maybe a thousand times the price of an automobile. Nicaragua's land costs are less than the price of a nice automobile today. And that's one of the things that Ken and I decided earlier this week to make sure that we uh, made available to the Hagman audience something very, very special. There's a beautiful, idyllic place in the northern part of uh, this coastline that we uh, enjoy every day. The area is called Papoyo. It's a very famous place for surfers. Why Ken ended up you will. Uh, and it's a place that in the future, right now it's a little remote. It's a little unknown. Obviously the surfers know it. In fact, it's the location in the country that's probably most known for surfing. International surf competitions occur there. But for real estate purchase, you want to buy real estate before it becomes popular. In fact, I have a little saying about this one location. Don't wait to buy property in the Papoyo area. Buy property in the Papoyo area and wait. And so we'll talk about that a little more, I'm sure, John. But we're going to make an offer tonight strictly limited to the Hagman audience. But maybe before I uh, we end up on this segment, maybe we can have Ken talk about, because I know that's a big question for you, John, is the political stability of Nicaragua. Well, I know that when Alex and I first came here, we were very smart with the fact that we sat down and talked to people that kind of walked before us. I had a friend that I've, I've known for many years, and he moved to Nicaragua in 1996. And so we had the advantage of being told, you know, maybe a couple of tips and one of the tips that we were told is to not to not try to tell Nicaragua how to run their country or how to maybe you should change your law to do this because that's what I'm used to up in the United States. So Alex and I were very well versed on the fact that we don't make real solid opinions in what we think about the political structure structure. And thankfully we did take that approach because it was a little tough in the very beginning to see them get everything squared away to the point that the the amount of people that now vote for the the current president was seventy percent. So it's quite obvious that the people have decided on exactly what they feel comfortable with and what they're happy with. 
So now you're dealing with the society or a culture that you don't have something that basically we have in the United States. I'm very sheltered to the infighting with the political structure in the United States between this side and that side, and they're yelling at them. What I am exposed to is a society that 70% of the population voted for the current president. So there's some more happy people. There's not a lot of that, well, they they should do this and we should do that. So uh, as far as the political structure, I do know that we have a current administration that is extremely open-armed to the international investment community coming in and creating hundreds and thousands of jobs. I do know that he's very well aware of the help that he needs in the area that Alex was speaking about on being very um, eco-friendly on the way that they produce their electricity. The fact that the Canadian company that's in here doing the geothermal field and the Denmark company that's in here doing the windmills and the solar panels are in an international-based company. That has been very successful to have outside help come in that has done it before and show this growing government and this growing society and the growing culture how to do it without making the mistakes that they had to go through. So they're getting plenty of help. And a lot of these countries that come in and do this international investment and help in the political side and help in the way that things are here, they, it's, it's, it's great to see the country uh, accept that and be happy. So as far as the political things, the way that things are doing politically, I'm completely good with it. I, I have a lot of communication with the ambassador in, in Managua. And I know that she deals with the president directly, and she's extremely pleased and has a positive attitude. Of course, we would like to see things run a little bit different being from America, but we're not in America. We're in Nicaragua. And Nicaragua's how about, doing the, women's, great how about right the women's? How about the women's rights, Ken? Well, that's one of the. Thank you, Alex, for bringing that up because that is something that's very important. I, I know the president's wife had made it a goal of hers to have at least 50% of the mayors voted in next, last year, in the mayorships throughout Nicaragua to be female. Now, she didn't have to do anything to create the votes other than to put the correct people to run that the, the, the individual towns liked that person and voted for them. And she got 51% of uh, female uh, wins across the board on mayorship, which is a big thing. And, uh, and don't the forget, schools that and she opens. And, and don't forget, Ken, that the World Women's Rights Report just came out, and the women's rights in the U.S. U.S. made it to number 48. The U.S. is the 48th best place for women's rights, and Nicaragua, Ken, is number. You remember? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Tenth, tenth, tenth <laughs> in the world. The number, Nic sir. Nic Nic Nicaragua's tenth. That's Gentlemen, right. if I may, I want to just interject quickly just for some quick housekeeping. Uh, and it's just a shame that this hour is flying by so quickly. Folks, I want to reiterate 
uh, as you listen to Alex Wilson and to his partner Ken Ross uh, speak with us here this evening, Ken just indicated in a very in a very humble manner that in his position at the at the embassy uh, in Managua, he is only a degree separated from the office of the president of the country. Now, the reason I, I want to reiterate that point is because you have the insight here this evening, folks, that you're really. It's just one of the things that makes the Hagman Report so cool is that we're giving you good, fresh data that's that's germane to the political climate in Nicaragua. Because, gentlemen, I think that uh, a mistake a lot of Americans make, and I know I made this for many years growing up in the in the 70s and 80s, uh, is just the memory of, of all of the, the difficulties that, that Nicaragua had. And what I'd like to do quickly is I'm going to drop a couple of uh, resources for our listeners, and then, Alex, I'm going to ask you to touch on something that I'm sure a lot of men and women listening right now would love to hear, and that's how easy it is and how user-friendly it is to not only get a business going in Nicaragua, but imagine this, Hagman listeners, they actually want people down there starting businesses. They're, they're, the name of their game is not to throw uh, miles and miles of red tape at you. They understand that when an Alex Wilson or a Ken Ross or a J.D. Hopwood comes down to Nicaragua, that they are there to help develop the country, to bring our multi-generations of know-how from the United States and from the UK, etc., to build their country and make it a truly world-class kind of first-world status. And that being said, we put together some great resources uh, for all of our Hagman listeners uh, to check out. And I would just encourage you folks, have fun with this this weekend. If you go to HagmanReport.com, uh, in the show notes this evening, there are a lot of links that will take you directly to Alex, uh, he his email is linked in there at preciousTimber.com. Uh, the write-up for tonight at Hagman Report is a one-stop shop to connect directly with Alex, but we'll do you even one better, and uh, we'll give this number out a couple of times before the hour concludes. Folks, Alex has set up a toll-free number, and if you, if you pick up the phone and, and, and give Alex a call between 9 a.m. and 5 p.m. Pacific which is great because that's three hours behind all of our listeners on the East Coast, so you don't have to get up at some ungodly hour. But uh, take down this number, folks, 855-888-6288. And that number again, and we'll give it before we wrap up the hour, 855-888-6288. And lastly, also at HagmanReport.com, Alex was kind enough to send over a really good article from, uh, I believe it's Real Estate Biz. I was able to repost that just before we went to air. And it's just a great little quick thumbnail sketch of what's going on down in Nicaragua, etc. And that being said, Alex, what I'd like to do is hand it back to you. Let's talk about the business opportunities, some of these really cool tax breaks that they offer. I mean, what I took away from our conversation, and really the last several conversations we've had, is that a guy like me who can put together maybe $10,000, $20,000, but 100000 is just a really, really high bar to set, that, that guys like me maybe have a chance. If, if you have the, the guts and the, adventures, the adventuresome spirit to get down there, is it not the case, Alex, that you know, with a modest amount of, of, of money, uh, I, I could actually get down there and, and get a piece of land developed and, and start up a business and, and maybe not even get bled white on taxes for the first few years out. Well, obviously, it's, very, it's, a, it's a part of the world where they're encouraging um, entrepreneurs, they're encouraging businesses uh, to come into the country. It's a, uh, a 
It's almost like a covered wagon uh, kind of a time, just like uh, when uh, people from the east coast of uh, the U.S. Uh, made it across uh, to the west coast and those that came first uh, and took the chance and, and maybe got stood outside of the box. Uh, they were the ones that were, were, were rewarded the most. That's what's happening in Nicaragua. Most, While most Americans are still living in the 70s and 80s and thinking that it's uh, uh, the revolution is still on, they're missing the boat. That's why we wanted to bring this message to the Hagman audience uh, because it is timely. The time to get to Nicaragua is now. It's growing fast. Less than 60,000 people visited the country when Ken and I first went there. Over one and a half million people visited last year, so it's uh, it's moving. And of course, whether it, whether it's a, a job you're looking for, whether it's a business that you want to start, as soon as you get off the plane, you're going to just look around, and within five minutes, you're going to see 25 opportunities where something uh, that an entrepreneur can think of, you can start and you can succeed at. But the key, of course, is you know, I mean, uh, it's a it's a finite a finite commodity, and that's real estate. And there's 7 billion people on the planet right now, John. There's going to be 9, and there's going to be 11 one day. And owning dirt all across the world, whether it's dirt for you to live on, whether it's dirt for you to work upon, whether it's dirt for you to enjoy, there's just not much of it. And so, yes, to your point and to your question, it's a, a relatively easy place to start a business. It's a very safe place to start a business. They're not uh, too punitive when it comes to having this, that, and the other regulation and law and, and procedure. Uh, obviously, you know, you have to do it uh, inside of the parameters of their law, but they're anxious for you to start and anxious for you to get going. And whether you're going to be uh, working for yourself or working for someone else or even the entrepreneur that wants to employ a whole bunch of people like we have done. Um, it's a it's a blessing and it's a it's a passion uh, that, that we share. One of the things that uh, we want to make sure that um, everyone here tonight understands is that uh, we're doing something unprecedented tonight. Ken and I, uh, we have um, some 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 property in the Papoyo area that we uh, were, were fortunate enough to secure at, a, at a, an incredible uh, price point, um, half acre beautiful half-acre plots less than one half a mile away from the Pacific Ocean, 82-degree Pacific Ocean, where uh, uh, tremendous fishing, uh, tremendous uh, uh, surfing, and other things are going on. And normally, uh, plots in that region can run anywhere from $50,000 a plot all the way up to, I've seen them as high as seventy-five. Um Whereas exactly the same property, just one hour south in Costa Rica, is three and five times higher, $150,000, $250,000, dollars a piece of property like that. So, listen, I'm not saying don't go to Costa Rica. What I'm saying is, for those people listening that are concerned about America, concerned about the value of property getting plummeted again like it did in 2008, those that are concerned about their retirement, those that have 401ks or, or IRAs and they're looking for that next location that can help them propel multiple times growth so that they can have some security financially, take a look. Go to bugoutnicaragua.com. That's bugoutnicaragua.com. Tonight we're going to make an offer. 
instead of our normal $49,000 price point on these half acres, strictly for Hagman listeners, 100% for Hagman listeners, there's two offers tonight, John. One is six lots. We're limiting, limiting this to only six. Six lots, the first six plots that are cash purchases, instead of them being $49,000, we're giving a Hagman listener a $14,000 discount. So instead of it being a $49,000 plot, it's a $35,000 plot. And then Ken asked me today, he said, you know, not everyone can afford to pay cash, Alex. And the reason he said that is when he came down with me, he was in a position where he couldn't pay cash. Ken will tell you the story when you meet him. So Ken asked if I would agree, and I have agreed, that we're going to add six more to that, six more plots. But this time it's for the person that can't afford to pay cash. And so instead of it being $35,000, which is the $14,000 off the $49,000 price, it's a $10,000 discount. So a plot would be $39,000 with 50% down. And thanks to Ken Ross, 50% financed over 24 months zero interest so folks if you're interested John gave the number it's 855 888 6288 or better yet jump on the website bugoutnicaragua.com over to you John wow you know uh, Alex thank you so much for laying out the numbers and folks of course First of all, if, when you read this on paper, when you see it in black and white, simply go to HagmanReport.com. The deal that Alex just mapped out is listed very specifically, very succinctly in the show notes. And what it really boils down to is this. It's not a ton of money. Where else can you buy beachfront property? There's gorgeous pictures in the show notes tonight as well, folks, where... It, it's it's something that we can swing. If you can if you can buy a car, not even a I mean a modest car in this country, a, you know a, a Hyundai or a Kia, uh, you can actually realistically look at a whole new adventure in your life. And I want to make two points, Alex, and I'll hand it back to you. We've got about uh, we've got about five more minutes, maybe six tops, until we go out this hour. So I'm going to make two quick points, and Alex, I'll let you take us out, sir, along with Joe and Ken, folks. What Ken said a few minutes ago about the energy independence in Nicaragua is huge. Uh, last week we had the uh, senior editor of the SRS Rocco Report, Steve Sangelo, joined us, and he mapped out very clearly that a country's entire financial picture starts with energy, period. Now, I don't want to go down a rabbit trail, but if you missed that last week, it was last Thursday night, you definitely want to hear that hour on Hagman Report. It's crucial to understand that this is, like uh, like Alex said, it's like 1910 America. It's business friendly. You can actually do something and get off the hamster wheel and look at a country where there's clean energy and energy independence right around the corner. And, Alex, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you in your concluding remarks tonight, sir, if you could touch a little bit on... Uh, the whole Spanish-English thing, I, you know, I, I'm sure a lot of people are thinking, oh, man, I, I can't learn a new language, that'd be just too much, and so on and so forth. So 
Alex, tell us a little more about the about the culture and and how easy it is to get along down there in English. And also, please don't forget to mention that that Team Hagman, we are putting boots on the ground in Nicaragua. JD uh, has already been working with you to develop his game plan. I'm taking a good hard look at this Nicaragua option myself, folks. So, so your friends, the people who make this show happen, Monday through Friday. We're we're behind this. <laughs> uh, we're not just talking about it. Anyway, Alex, I'll just I'll hand it to you, and I'll make that uh, my concluding remarks for this evening, and then Joe can take us out. Well, as I said earlier, and I believe this is the key for the show tonight, something amazing is going on in Nicaragua, and fortunately, you got to hear about it tonight. With regards to uh, the Spanish English, I have Spanglish. I have a little bit of Spanish and a lot of English. But fortunately, <laughs> 97% of the population in Nicaragua is educated today. They have a tremendously well-educated population. The kids go to school, they learn English. So if you're talking to someone that's probably 40 years of age or younger, they're probably going to talk to you in your native tongue. They're going to talk to you in English. If you're talking to someone maybe in their 50s and above and they didn't have the opportunity before the revolution to go to school, uh, maybe uh, they, they, they want you to speak uh, some Spanish, but you know, you get along fine, there's somebody close by, but most people that I run into speak perfect English, you'll be using your own dollar bill, that's what they use, they have their own currency, but everybody uses the dollar, and um, well, I, I'm going to leave this to Ken, because Ken knows better than I. Uh, What's the affordability status between Nicaragua with, rega with regards to uh, your annual, uh, sorry, your, your monthly expenses uh, compared to what you used to spend up here in the U.S.? You know, I get asked that quite a bit because I deal with the expat community, and they say, Ken, tell me honestly, I'm coming down, I'm on a uh, limited budget. In fact, this is what I get for the rest of my life. And I, honestly, if a person has anywhere about eleven or twelve hundred, thirteen hundred dollars a month coming in permanently, they can do extremely well and live a really, really super good life. Walking on the beach, enjoying the sun, having a great apartment. Uh, maybe not so much affording a brand new car or or something like that, but. Uh, a lot of the communities up and down the coast of Nicaragua are on the ocean, and people stay within the community. You walk around, you go on the beach, you eat, eat with, the, uh, with the friends you've met down there. So about $1,200 a month, and you do just fine in Nicaragua. Gentlemen, this has been a lot of fun. I think uh, what we've established tonight is uh, two things. Uh, America... We wish you well. I know you're sick. Uh, you need uh, you need uh, a doctor like never before. But the bottom line is, there's going to be a reset. And when this reset comes, it's most likely going to be worse than 2008, and most likely closer to, to 1929. That took a long time uh, for things to to, to get back. Uh, some people will hear the message. They'll get prepared. Some people will take uh, an extra step and uh, try and find plan B. And some people will do what Ken Ross did and said, I love America. I just don't want to stay there anymore. I want a simpler, more friendly society to live in. I want a place where I can do the things that I want to do on, on my time. 
And one of the things that I remember from a Texan that we uh, introduced to the country, and he said it with his Texas accent, which, by the way, I cannot do, but he said, I have to come all the way to Nicaragua to find out what real, true freedom really means. So it's been a pleasure, uh, uh, Joe. Thanks again, and John, for your uh, for your time with us tonight. And uh, I'm going to uh, uh, direct it back to you and uh, and, and and let you uh, uh, conclude the show. Alex, uh, Doug Hagman here. I just want to say thank you for your time, man. I'll tell you what an informative session. I, I see. Didn't didn't think I was here. And, in the and back. one more time for for Alex's number. Folks, you can call 855-888-6288. That is 855-888-6288. Uh, fantastic job, gentlemen, and, and thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to, to come on and talk uh, to our audience about what's going on and and some of the benefits that people can uh, take advantage of and opportunities that are ongoing in Nicaragua. Uh, thank you guys so much. Thanks so much, and I tell you one last thing. Uh, there's no one better to meet when you go to the country than Ken Ross. He's an ambassador for the country, and he what well, he tells you uh, when 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 you go, uh, it'll be right on the money, and he'll take care of you. Thank you, Alex. Awesome. Thanks. PreciousTimber.com. Again, that's PreciousTimber.com. And uh, yeah, thank you, Alex, and thank you, and thank you, Ken, and John. Thank you so much for um, pretty much handling the interview. When we come back, Debbie Bacigalupi will be with us to talk about the Agenda 2030, the United Nations revamped Agenda 21, and where this is going and what it means for us uh, globally, nationally, and most importantly, locally. Stay with us. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right, You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a thing, you're charging your recharge batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable, it's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces, it's durable, it's EMP proof, and it's environmentally friendly, yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, 6 AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night, go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, and that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke 
smokeless and fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an MOK. For investors, Timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Um, if you're just joining us now, we just had John Robertson on with Alex Wilson from Precious Timber, and uh, they were talking about business opportunities and living opportunities in Nicaragua. Now we have Debbie Bacigalupi with us, and we're going to be talking about Agenda 2030, the United Nations' uh, complete assault on our freedoms uh, from our land to you know our constitutional rights and, and much, much more. Uh, putting us under the oppressive tyranny of a green agenda. But Boy, first, it just keeps get, you know, it just keeps getting bigger and bigger. You know, it keeps growing that agenda, which is why, which is why, folks, in my office, I play whole tones all the time. You, you know, music is one of life's greatest pleasures. It has tremendous power—the power to bring a tear to your eye, or to quiet a racing mind. Music is also the power to heal. It does. And it's been used throughout the ages to treat depression, to create energy, to induce sleep, to relieve chronic pain, reduce stress, and even cure diseases. And now, musician and author Michael Terrell has created Whole Tones, the Healing Frequency Music Projects. These frequencies were studied in the music of King David and believed to have astounding healing effects. Now you can benefit from this revitalized ancient healing music therapy folks by simply listening daily to this music in the comfort of your own home your car your office just like we do it's it's well into 2017 the news is just coming fast and furious folks reward yourself calm yourself Inspire yourself with the gift of healing and transformation. Don't miss this opportunity to get an absolutely free sample of this music so that you can begin benefiting right away. You can support this broadcast, support this show, 
Go to WholeTonesLive.com and get a free sample of these soothing, relaxing, revitalizing musical tones. That's right. Go to the URL, WholeTonesLive.com today. I'm going to spell that for you. W-H-O-L-E. That's whole, like entire. WholeTones, T-O-N-E-S, W-H-O-L-E, T-O-N-E-S, WholeTonesLive.com. That's WholeTonesLive.com. One more time, WholeTonesLive.com. All right, joining us now is uh, Debbie Bacigalupi, and we're going to be talking about Agenda 2030. Uh, Debbie's been a guest on our show uh, before. She is the senior editor um, for Patrick Wood's Technocracy uh, Technocracy News. Technocracy.news. Technocracy.news, thank you. You know, Joe and I were talking earlier. She's one of our favorite guests because she knows so much about this, when I say favorite guests, but they're all great, but, but Debbie's got this, ins, this tremendous insight with respect to the larger, I like big pictures, and she's got that big picture approach. Go ahead, Joe. I, yeah, well, let's, let's, uh, bring Debbie on. Debbie, welcome back to the Hagman and Hagman Report. You can say favorite guest anytime you want. I will <laughs> not balk at that. <laughs> it's well, good to be with you both again. Yeah, you know, it, it's, it's funny because, um this uh, what we're seeing play out i mean the, the minutia of the news headlines compared to the larger agenda of the globalists people get caught up in the minutia that they they don't look at the bigger picture you've got your finger on the pulse of the bigger picture and uh it's my understanding joe told me you just got back from a the international climate yeah. change conference yeah what what's up I did. I did. It's, you know, there are some great conferences that are, I would say, in our camp. What's our camp? Our camp is we want the truth. And if, you know, the truth was that actually, yes, there is global warming and man is responsible, I believe that we are the type of people who would do something about it. We just wouldn't be squawking about it. And we would actually change our lifestyle in order to save planet Earth, which is not what Al Gore and Leonardo DiCaprio and uh, 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 Barack Obama and the Clintons are doing. In fact, they're doing exactly the opposite. They're in continuing to be in accumulation mode. I can, you know, planes and money and speaking engagements and huge carbon footprint. But I think that, you know, the, the, People in our camp, the people who want the truth, who will study um, and put their own money forward and their own time forward, those are the people who who were at this conference in Washington, D.C. Um, last week. And, oh, my gosh, these are the guys that I not only went to the 2012 Rio Earth Summit in Brazil, you know, the 20-year reunion of the global uh, signing or, or the global um, announcement, the promulgation of United Nations Agenda 21 Sustainable Development. So in 2012, I went to the Rio Earth Summit with some of these guys, and then we went to the 2015 United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, the Paris Agreement, that everybody knows about and is hearing about, and if you haven't, just... Um, Think about how are you going to change your life to be a sustainable development global citizen that you must drastically change your life as a global citizen to maintain the Earth's 
temperature based on the Paris Agreement within 2 degrees Celsius or about 3.2 degrees Fahrenheit. And how do you do that? You live a sustainable life like a good human being, any good human being would do. You walk, you bike, you take public transportation. You don't consume. In fact, you under-consume. You only use your basic needs. You don't go above and beyond. You don't do what they call earth overshoot. Earth overshoot is how many earths does it take for you to live based on the resources that you use and the resources that you need, your homes, your cars, your clothing, your Louis Vuitton bags, your your meat-consuming ways, um, how many earths will it take in order to fulfill your lifestyle as a human being? So, you know, these are people, um, if you're going to, you know, um, be one of these good global citizens, you would definitely want to reduce your earth overshoot. And, you know, so that's how we would be living if we actually believed in the mantra. We would be reducing. We would be doing the things that, you know, that taking those steps. Well, these conferences and these guys that I go, you know, are, are going to these uh, different conferences with, they just held an, their 12th annual international conference on climate change. So we have the International Panel on Climate Change, which you know is the United Nations. Well, Heartland Institute... CFACT, a Center for a, a Constructive Tomorrow, CFACT, CEI, which is, um, or, uh, yeah, is it CEI? It, um, oh my, yeah, uh, CEI, I can't remember what the acronym stands for, but that's Myron Ebel. Myron Ebel was tapped by Trump to possibly direct the EPA. Myron Ebel said, no, I'm not going to direct the EPA. I could actually do more good outside of working for the federal government and continuing what I'm doing to expose all these, you know, all this climate change, global warming, hockey stick stuff. Um, also at this conference, so these guys, so lots of little things that I just threw in there. One, the guys that I've, and it's mostly men. There's, I think I may be the only female for the most part, who has consistently gone. So mostly these these men who are eager to get the truth and let people um, educate people on the truth and to actually give them insight into what happens in the United Nations, what happens in the meetings, what their ultimate goals are in these United Nations meetings. Um, they are uh, They like to have fun. Um, Craig Rucker, Mark Morano, who's often on CNN and uh, Fox News, um, Al Jazeera TV, RT, a bunch of others. He's just all over the place. Um, he would love to debate Al Gore, but Al Gore just will not debate. But what they do is they go to these conferences and they get themselves kicked out. How? Well, they're just, you know, in, in the, they're active. They're in their face. So what happened at the, um, at the 2030, uh, conference that I did not go to, the most recent COP meeting, uh, both, uh, Craig and Mark, who are friends of mine now after these battles, they took a cutout, a, a human-sized cutout of Trump to this United Nations conference. And in the media section of the conference, they also, so they had their big Trump, Trump, uh, cutout. They also had a paper shredder. And they took the Paris Agreement and shredded it, (laughs) which is absolutely hilarious. And they got kicked out of the meeting. In fact, uh, they got kicked out in the desert, and they 
told me that they had to walk an hour because of the security and stuff, walk an hour to get back to where they were no longer walking in sand. <laughs> oh but Lord Christopher Monckton was at this uh, just this conference that I was just at. So it's Craig Rucker, Mark, Mark Morano, Lord Monckton, uh, Dr. Willie Soon, who's an astrophysicist. I met him at the Paris conference. Um, just hilarious. So these guys like to... And there's tons. There's not just that few. There's, you know, a good 40, 50 of these scientists who regularly show up. These scientists and these activists are people who truly believe that science is not settled. And if science were settled, there would be no reason to study it anymore. Yet, you have all these climatologists from the United Nations studying climate change. If it's settled, then why are we even messing around with with studying anything at this point? You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. So anyway, this conference was a hoot. I had a great time. I met one of the leading zoologists on polar bears. So there's only a few scientists who actually study polar bears. And um, Susan, I think it's Crawford, Dr. Susan Crockford, um, was one of the presenters at this conference, this International Panel on Climate Change conference, and um, or International Conference on Climate Change. And she, her, her studies have been unreal. Like we hear, uh, polar bears are disappearing. They're actually thriving. We hear that they can only, you know, they can only survive on thick ice, and that's con- the concern about the Arctic melting. And she's like, no, they can survive on, you know, they can walk on, you know, thin pieces of thin sheets of ice. They can swim for hundreds of miles, um, and just extraordinary animals. But they're they're thriving. They're not disappearing. They're thriving. And someone asked her, do we need to worry about the polar bears anymore? And she said, no, absolutely not. It is for people to go around and say that, you know, the polar bears are going extinct and we need to, we need to study and spend any more time on polar bears, she says, is absolutely ridiculous when it comes to, you know, the population of the species. All right. All right. Check I, it I off the list. Yeah. I, okay. That's good. Wow. What a relief. All right, because that was I, I was sleepless over that. All right, <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Well, she's written a book, and she's written a book for children, and she's written a book for more of adult learners. And I recommend people should get them because that is, you know, uh, when it comes to global warming and having a, a poor little puppy in the window, they use the polar bear. So it's Susan J. Crockford. She does not know that I'm doing this, by the way. She probably wouldn't remember me if I introduced myself to her again. But anyway, Susan J. Crockford, C-R-O-C-K-F-O-R-D, and uh, her, her, you know, just extraordinary that we have these scientists who actually care enough about the truth that they put their own money and efforts and time not expecting anything back except for, you know, just an audience that, that is going to help them get the truth out. And so just awesome. It's just an awesome conference. Thanks for asking about it. Heartland Institute, it's a I think it's a decent organization and um and like like you guys, I research these organizations. I have huge concerns about most of them where I would not tie myself to organizations. But um Heartland's a, a good group of guys and hopefully we can keep it that way because we know that everything from Farm Bureau to cemetery boards has been infiltrated by people who think that communism and socialism uh, is a good thing. You know, it, it all goes back to 
really. It all goes back to this communist agenda, doesn't it? I mean, it's, it, that's what it is. It, it's, we, the peasants, are going to be living in uh, container houses. That's, or at least that's what they want. You know, no longer am I going to be able to live in my 12,000 foot, uh, four yeah. wood burning fireplace house, mm-hmm. you know, driving my Bentley. That's and, a big uh, carbon footprint, you know, Doug. Yeah, yeah I, I know, I know. <laughs> Shame on me, right? Um, it, it, so, but we're all, I mean, it's, the, the objective here is to create just this, uh, the, well. Well, it's a, it's a plan of, of total control. It's a recipe for, Global communism and, and socialism under yeah. a, a, a false um, a narrative of you know being for the for the earth. Uh, these people don't really care to take care of the earth. These people want control over it and the resources, and, and that goes with uh, for the people who live on the earth as well. And and this is what we're we're fighting against. D- yeah, d- it, Debbie, it is a t- yeah. Go I mean, limousine liberals are, are these the, the most, um, what would you call them? Uh, uh, I don't want to say, it's not schizophrenic, it's uh, hypocritical, I suppose. We can fly oh, in God, the jets. Oh, God, you nailed yeah. it. Leonardo you DiCaprio it. is a great example, yeah, and Paul tell- Joseph Watson has done some videos on this. But, yeah, he has these, uh, you know, he'll speak at events uh, warning about the dangers of global warming, and uh, he's a big advocate for, you know, man-made climate change, carbon taxes and whatnot, but he'll fly his, you know, hairdresser 9,000 miles to make sure his hair looks right for the Oscars or while giving a speech on, on the dangers of overfishing in the ocean, serving whole fish to each individual person who bought a plate for $10,000. I mean, the hypocrisy is just so in your face. It is so in your face, and yet there are so many people who give them Al Gore, DiCaprio, Obama using, you know, Air Force One to go on extravagant vacations. There are people who give them a pass. And when we were, um, when I was working on a documentary with an extraordinary human being, J.D. King, he did, uh, he's done a couple documentaries. The first one, which is where I found out about J.D. King, is called Crying Wolf. And as a cattle rancher from Montana, not far from Yellowstone, he started to get um, um, a taste of or hear about the wolf issue. And as and JD, I think is probably 24. He's and and he did this film when he was 18. So he what he saw on the ground was very different from what he was reading or hearing about on TV. So he decided, you know, the public deserves the truth on what's happening because the wolf populations were growing. They're introducing them. They're bringing them into Yellowstone. They say this is all about ungulate control, you know, hooved animal control because the ungulates, they're um, killing all the the, uh, the um, specific grasses and, and important grasses and and they're fording through the rivers, and therefore the rivers are widening, and therefore with widening of rivers, the water quality is less in these rivers for the trout and for whatever species they want to come up with. So as um, J.D. started to discover what the truth was, was, was about these wolves was, in fact, that they weren't um, impacting um, anything but the population of these animals to the point of decline, to where the the animals that were being blamed, the elk and 
not so much the bison because Ted Turner owns bison, so we certainly can't attack Ted Turner's pet project bison. But we're going to attack the deer and we're going to attack the elk and, you know, the, the, uh, these kind of ungulates. And so what they've noticed, what he noticed, and he started reaching out to other scientists like Dr. Charles Kay, who had done studies on the grass, like grass, grassy areas of, um, of some of these river systems. And I don't know exactly where, I can't be so specific, but just all that to say, go, go watch Crying Wolf. It's amazing. Amazing, amazing documentary. But um, that the what we're being told about the impact of ungulates on planet Earth, like the destruction, was actually not true um, in Yellowstone. And they found areas that even if they removed the bison or they removed the elk or they removed the deer from these certain particular areas along the rivers, that these grasses were not growing as they had predicted through their computer modeling, right? They did all this computer modeling, spent all this money to say, if we can control the elk and the deer population in Yellowstone, then we can see this ecosystem balanced again. In fact, there's another movie out there, I don't remember what it is, but it's about rivers and how wolves help balance the ecosystems and help rivers run wild. Well, the problem with the wolves is, you know, they carry all sorts of diseases. They breed like you wouldn't believe. You cannot control wolves. They hunt at night. They um, they actually attack human beings. They um, hide a disease, for example, is there if you are walking a trail, let's say in Yellowstone, there's a wolf scat. In that wolf scat are spores that when you walk, you know, past you happen to kick this, whether it's dry or not, wolf scat. The spores are released in the air. You breathe them in. You can have hydatid disease, and it's cysts in your body. They are finding them in elk. They are finding them in deer. They're finding them in species. They're finding them in human beings, and it's deadly. So they're releasing these wolves that are from Canada or from Mexico. They collar these darn things. They pierce their ears, and then you have the pro-wolfers. I've seen this for myself because... I also w- uh, worked on a documentary, and it's called Wolves in Government Clothing. And um, so we were interviewing people, um, pro-wolfers is what we started calling them. They've got these full-on ham radio-type contraptions with metal and aluminum and these long antennas, and they know these wolves by name, and they track. These, these are just, you know, they, these are wolf enthusiasts. These are the, the enthusiasts who show up to meetings where, you know, they're yelling at us ranchers and farmers saying we should be shot when we're, you know, saying we don't want wolves on our land. You're, they're going to kill our cattle. They're going to kill our dogs, which is exactly what they're doing. These wolves are dangerous. They are much larger than the wolves that we used to have in the United States. Um, they're huge. They're up to 180 pounds. Um, and they're dangerous, and we are not stopping the wolf population right this very second. And I'm so mad about this. Right this very second, the wolf population is growing. Why? Because these animals are hard to control. They're hard to control. They hunt at night. You you know, you can't be shoot going around shooting at night, shooting in the dark at things. Um, we're seeing, and, and so in California, why I'm so peeved about it is we keep hearing that there's wolf packs that are now coming into California or they disappear. So when it shows up in a newspaper article, 
here in California, Northern California, we'll see, oh, you know, excellent, the wolves are coming back. Well, those wolves were never here in the first place. But, oh, the wolves are coming back. And then when they disappear, nobody can find them, even though they're collared and GPSed and supposedly fish and game can't find them. But we know that they're, they're you know, they're probably chipped as well, you know, like a dog chip. So we're, then we hear, you know, then you get a news story in the newspaper saying, oh, well, the Shasta pack disappeared. The first pack in, in California after 100 years has now disappeared. And then you start to see, oh, well, the P- Department of Fish and Wildlife doesn't know if the ranchers and farmers have poisoned these wolves or if they're shot. Okay, they've been tracking these wolves. Now all of a sudden, but here, here's my point, is that they're just blaming they they point their fingers back at the ranchers and the farmers. It's always, you know, going back to the ranchers and the farmers because we're such horrible, awful people, according to, you know, these pro-wolfers and Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio hypocrites. And so anyway, um, yeah, I don't know where I was going with it, but I hope wherever it went, I entertained all your listeners. Well, I don't know, but let's <laughs> let's get let's get Leo on the phone. I want I want to do a bare knuckle fight with this idiot. Is, yeah. is that allowed? I mean, seriously. Uh, wow. Well, okay. they are. They are, as, as Joe said, they are hypocrites. And I taught today. I I've been teaching all this week, and with my family, we as cattle ranchers, we um, and cattle women. One of the things that we love to do is teach elementary school students about agriculture and how important ag is to their life, which you've heard me say before that in modern-day society, it is absolutely impossible for anyone, anyone living in modern-day society who uses any modern-day equipment, instrument, whatever, it is impossible to be vegan or vegetarian. You may not put it in your mouth and on your tongue, but let me tell you, all vegans, Pamela, what's her name, Pamela Sue Anderson, or what's her name, Pam Anderson from PETA, the, you know, um, I won't say what I was going to say. <laughs> <But> <laughs> hypocrite Pam, you know, who goes around saying, you know, all about animals and we need to protect these animals and be vegan and, and vegetarian and don't eat beef. She's using, consuming, as soon as she starts slapping on that heavy makeup that she wears, she is wearing livestock byproduct. As soon as she gets in her fancy sports car and drives down to Beverly Hills to buy her next Louis Vuitton whatever, she is using livestock byproduct, not only buying the leather, whatever she buys, but also tires have um, fatty acid in them in order to keep their shape, uh, asphalt in order to keep it bound and, and you know, Elmer, Elmer's glue, Elmer is a cow. <laughs> There's a hint there. There's a clue in the glue, and the clue is Elmer is a cow, so therefore there must be something within the cow that helps make glue, and that is absolutely true. So you've got a clue with the glue, and it's true. So anyway, so all these hypocrites going around saying we need to be a vegan society, you know, to save planet Earth, they're just simply hypocrites. And that's where I um, I think we can do some serious go-to-work on on debunking and just showing the ludicrousy of of this you know radical green collectivism movement i wouldn't just add communism it's collectivism at the ultimate level at the scientific level 
at the artificial intelligent level where, you know, we go around with our smartphones and we are constantly bowing our head to the God of technology. Yeah. Good point. All right. Where does, where does President Donald J. Trump stand on all of this? Do we know yet? I mean, it's only day 70 of his, of his presidency, but, but do we, do we have any good indication as to where he stands on this insanity? Um, and I, I, I asked that kind of knowing the answer given his, uh, you know, but, but I don't know how many people I bet you, I bet you, yeah, I bet you we, we feel the same way that jury's out. Jury's out on Trump. Yeah. It seems to me it wouldn't take much to knock this uh, Agenda 2030 movement down, uh, or at least get it out of the United States or get it out of government, or or at least gain some ground on it in the battle against this agenda. Um, I think it's almost impossible. Here's why. Because the 2030 okay. agenda is infiltrated into major companies like Walmart, Disney, Walt Disney, Coca-Cola. Um, um, I, if you look up, if if your listeners want to check this out, um, the I think it's called the Business Council on Sustainable Development. The Business Council on Sustainable Development I, is is what I'm pretty sure it's called. But you can look up 2030 business. And these are t- search terms: 2030 agenda, uh, U.S. business, Walmart. And you're going to find just a plethora of information on how these U.S. companies are helping to achieve the 17 sustainable development goals of the United Nations. So, for example, Walmart. So how, how could you get the 2030 agenda out of the United States? And I said, I think it's pretty impossible. Um, you would have to have a massive campaign to stop people from shopping at Walmart, for example. And I don't know how you do that, especially as Walmart is expanding. It's moving into more rural areas, um, destroying mom-and-pop shops. And when those mom-and-pop shops are gone, and there's this is happening where my parents have their ranch in Northern California. And now that Walmart is now, you know, they have their whole organic food section. And so we're seeing grocery stores now collapse in rural America and where everybody goes to shop now, they have to. They have no other choices except for, you know, maybe they want to drive their car three hours up to, you know, into another state and 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 purchase food or, you know, three hours south or whatever, wherever they need to go to to simply shop and not rely on Walmart. This is um this is I'm looking at a um from the business um council on sustainable development. I'm looking at one of their and it's in my in, in my presentation so I don't have the link on I can't tell you specifically where to go but if you put in these search terms you're going to find it. Here is goal 12.8 of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or 2030 agenda. By the year 2030, 
<laughs> That's why they call it agenda, the 2030 agenda, because these goals are to be completed and finalized by the year 2030. Ensure that people everywhere had the relevant inter- information and awareness for sustainable development and lifestyles in harmony with nature. Next, you see Walmart. Walmart has worked with more than 100 suppliers, several leading NGOs, non-government organizations, and the scientists at the Sustainability Consortium, TSC. So a listener could look up the Sustainability Consortium for the past several years to build the Sustainability Index. It's a tool that gathers and analyzes information about a supplier's approach to monitoring and managing social and environmental impact across the product life cycle. Let me read that again. The Sustainability Index, it's a tool that gathers and analyzes information, so gathers and analyzes information on sustainability. So what? So are they collecting and gathering information on what? So first of all, what products are sustainable? How the, when they were manufactured, what sustainable practices were used? And then they'll go on further, and I can keep on reading this so that you can see the big picture in this. But their ultimate goal is to teach and train and nudge human beings into being sustainable human beings through their consumptive patterns. It says this in the goal, uh, goal 12 point or target 12.8 by the year 2030, ensure that people everywhere have the relevant information and awareness for sustainable development and lifestyles in harmony with nature. In other words, you are a sustainable development citizen and you are marching to the tunes of being a sustainable development citizen. So let's see. Um, uh, it goes on to say Walmart is putting the tool into the hands of our buyers and suppliers in the U.S. and piloting, so right now they're piloting, I can't even say that word, piloting it in Chile and Mexico to drive continuous improvement and identify hot spots for special initiatives such as factory energy efficiency and fertilizer optimization. Walmart is making information from the index available to the public in the Sustainability Leaders Shop at walmart.com. So you can go to the Sustainability Leaders Shop at walmart.com so that you can be a sustainability leader and buy um, products that are sustainable. The site describes the major hotspots affecting more than 80 product categories and showcases suppliers who score the highest on the index in each category. By the end of 2017, they'll buy 70% of goods in in, in the highest um, let's see, sorry, by the end of 2017, they'll buy 70% of goods in Walmart U.S. and Sam's Club U.S. units only, only emphasized, only from suppliers who use the sustainability index to evaluate and share the sustainability of their products if they produce goods in categories where the index is currently available. Each merchant will have sustainability goals tied to his or her performance objectives, and we will use the index as the primary tool to measure progress. Currently, nearly 1,300 suppliers 
of Walmart are using the Sustainability Index to evaluate, evaluate the sustainability performance of the full life cycle of their products, accounting for 65% of Walmart U.S. sales. Walmart is rolling the Sustainability Index out for Sam's Club suppliers this year, this year in 2017. And so by the end of this year, they want this completed. So can you see where they're going with this? Well, yeah. And I don't like it. And that's just Walmart. Uh, how? Okay. Uh, all right. Yeah. yeah. So many questions, so many directions to take this. That's just Walmart. How did they get so brawny in this fight, Walmart? Well, here's here. Well, it's Coca Cola, it's Pepsi, it's okay. Johnson and Johnson. I'm just trying to remember the some of the so, stores off or some of the. Okay, all right, all right. So, so it's what a, I think. Walmart. Go ahead. Yeah. Here's yeah. It, it's it, here's what I think. They all have lobbyists, right? And mm. the lobbyists go to Washington D.C. and say. And you have all the money, right? These guys, they have PACs, PACs, you know, um, political action committees. Sure. Um, they have funds. Um, you know, these, these, these mega corporations have so much stinking money that we all know that they are, um, and, and the CEOs and the people involved and the VPs and on and on and on have major influence on politicians. And our politicians need their money. Our elections are so expensive that, you know, right now Congress people are already campaigning for their next election. They have to be. They spend most of their time trying to, you know, collect money for, um, according to the politicians I've talked to, the Congress people I've talked to, to prepare for the next election, especially as, you know, they, Washington, D.C. is so broken and people are getting more mad and mad and angry and seeing their freedoms and their liberties disappear. So now these politicians are feeling more threatened. Well, how do you not be so threatened? You've got to pay to play. And so what I see happening, and this is just my guess, this is just my guess. I could be completely wrong, but I don't think I am. I think there's so much money involved in our political process now. The threat is high for these these career, well, not so much for the career politicians, but anybody who wants to break in and disrupt Washington, D.C. We haven't seen much disruption, have we, even with Trump in office. There has not been that much. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, there's just this this crazy... Um, world of, of, they're protected. I mean, I mean, here we hear these politicians hate each other and then we see them out playing golf together. I mean, how does that happen? How does, I mean, the name calling and the, the flinging back and forth and then they're all like patting each other on the back and saying, yeah, we get along great after the election's over. Yeah, we're really good for, are you kidding me? Like, we're not that stupid on the outside. <laughs> but anyway, so you've got this big money. You've got these lobbyists who, who are going to bat for these companies. You know, compare it to a small farm and ranch like my parents. If we have a bad product, we get sued, we can lose everything. If Walmart has a bad product, 
they get sued and what happens? Most of the time they settle out of court. Their name isn't brand, you know, hardly touched because they've settled, they have the money to pay people off. And I see that people are being paid off to push this thing. So when you have lobbyists and you have lobbyists saying, okay, so where is regulation going in the future? Well, here's what you guys need to know. You know, we're going to keep you in touch with where things are going so that you guys can plan. We're heading towards this thing called sustainable development. And here, in in order to get ahead of the curve, here's what you need to know. You can actually make tons of money on sustainable development and solar panels and wind panels if you get in early enough. If you get in early enough, I'll give you some information so that Walmart can succeed. And you can get ahead of the curve, and you can lead the way, and, you know, your stores can grow. That's what I see happening. I don't know if you guys see it the same way, but that's how I see things well, playing out. Yeah, yeah, and, and it makes sense, even though solar panels, which, you know, I, 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 California solar panels, uh, I think in one or uh, more than one instance have, have been found to ignite birds in mid-flight. I mean, think about that, okay? Yes. I, you know, and the corruption behind the solar companies and the bankruptcy right. so Linda, and where did the yeah. money go? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. It, 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 mm-hmm. And the wind turbines, <sighs> another example, you know, that we're not oh, yeah. being told the truth. Of the, and all the, I just, I, I taught uh, college students today on government and I, I got chewed, chewed, chewed up and spit out by these students, let me tell you, um, because they all have been indoctrinated that global warming is real, man is causing it, cattle are bad, we need wolves on the landscape to um, eat the the overpopulation of cattle, even though, you know, they these students are oh, everything tell. they touch, are, oh, oh, you know, livestock. So, so yeah, do, go ahead. Do, no, do do tell. You 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 taught a a you spoke at a college class, and, and these um, you know still snot nose green behind the ears kids uh, have been so indoctrinated into this culture of corruption and madness that that they mm-hmm. they said oh you know so they they were they were why am I not surprised but but I okay. Yeah, what are some of the things yeah. that these kids are being, I, are being taught? Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. it was great to have, yeah, it was, it was, uh, so great. My mom happens to be in town with me right now. And, uh, before I go off to another conference and speak, um, to a large group of women about, uh, a lot of these same topics, um, Trump and what's happened, what will happen with Agenda 21 under Trump. Let me tell you nothing, guys. It's not going away. It's, marching very quickly um, and it has to because if Trump wins again then we have eight years to try and stop this thing called Agenda 21 but it's so infiltrated into almost every in, you know area of our life um, like I say with Walmart but anyway so it's been great to have my mom here because I share it, go back and share these stories with my family and they're like no I can't believe it I mean they can believe it right but my mom got to see it firsthand today. Every year I'm invited back, and I hope this continues, to speak at my alma mater. It's Notre Dame, Dana Moore. It's a private Catholic college in Belmont, California. And it's it's one of those schools where 
almost anybody can get into it. I mean, it's not it's not that hard to get into. It's not an easy school once you're there, but it's not, you know, it's a school that really, really, really wants to grow and be on the map. And so for um, while I was there, you know, almost anybody could get in. But the work was hard, and they did things like evidence-based management and and then I got my master's there, and but I also ran for Congress, and I don't know that the school has ever had any, it's a small school, I don't know that they've ever had anybody run for Congress. And, um, and I know for, I know, I'm pretty darn sure that if I ran as a Democrat, they would be inviting me back all the time. But one of the teachers who deserves an award wants her students to hear the other side. She happened to be my history teacher when I was a freshman at the college. And by the way, I I um, was a very late adult learner. I um, didn't graduate when I was younger. I just didn't know what I wanted to do and went off and did a whole bunch of other things and worked for biotech and all these different other companies and became a corporate event planner. And then I decided, okay, it's time to get my degree. So I got my bachelor's at age 40. 40 or 42, I can't remember, and my master's like around 44, somewhere in there. And then, you know, and then I was very devoted to my studies. And one thing that I was known for and am still known for at that school is standing up to these teachers and going toe-to-toe with the students because I'm not going to be indoctrinated and I'm not going to, you know, let other students – I want people to see the other side. I want people to think. I want people to be, you know, critical thinkers and – and because it impacts me too, you know, if we're heading down this this road of of, of climate change hoax and everything else. Well, anyway, um, after I ran for Congress in 2012, I went to the Rio Earth Summit in 2012. This instructor said, "You know, Debbie, I want you to come back and and teach the these students like what it was run like to run for Congress." So I um. So when I, I, what I taught them was about Agenda 21. I briefly said, you know, this is what it was like to run for Congress. You should do it. But then I went into Agenda 21, and this teacher had no idea what Agenda 21 was. And as a government his, history teacher, she actually was like, whoa, I can't believe this is happening. And so um, we had conversations. She said, you know, I'd like you to come teach again. So I have taught since 2012, 13, 14, 15. So she's brought me back six years in a row, I think six years. And it's, in my opinion, the only opportunity that these students have to actually hear the other side. The other side of what, Debbie? They're being taught, and this is in their textbooks, regionalism. Hitler did regionalism. Smart growth. Smart growth is full-on United Nations Agenda 21. Smart sustainable communities, the smart grid, smart meters, all of that to connect us, right? And I know you, I'm preaching to the choir here, so to speak, but you know, for this big global citizenry connection where we're all connected and we all impact each other even when we breathe. So, this is what these students are being taught. I take the liberty of going to the bookstore to see what other books are in these college bookstores. And it's it's extraordinary, and I think that if I think communities, I think parents and aunts and uncles should be doing the same, just so they can you know offset, hopefully offset, like a carbon offset, I guess, offset what the heck these guys are learning. So some of the things, Joe, that they were saying today were um, that they they checked out my cowboy boots and um, and said, well, your boots had an impact on the other side of the world. 
And I was like, okay, wait a minute. They're about to have an impact okay. on someplace else, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, and I, so, you know, because they, this one person in particular was really, I mean, she was um, really in your face. In fact, at once, so here I am, the invited speaker. I'm the invited guest. All semester long, they are learning about regionalism, shared resources, um, floods. In fact, last week they watched Leonardo DiCaprio's film, Before the Flood, um, before, you know, in preparation of this, of my coming to uh, teach them the other side. So, and in that film, I haven't seen it, but it's all about, I asked the students if it talked about how bad, you know, that if, if cows are bad for the environment, and um, they're like, oh, yeah, cattle are bad for the environment. And mind you, I just spent this week, earlier this week, teaching second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth graders um, about how great agriculture and, and cattle are for the environment and all the byproducts that we use. So you have these little, you know, smarty-pants adult learners who think that um, – because of watching a documentary by a very wealthy hypocrite that because of who DiCaprio is in the world, you know, a very famous figure, and then, and I tried to make this point to them, and then you have someone like me who doesn't get paid to do this. This has become my life to research this stuff, to go to the United Nations conferences, to read, you know, thousands and thousands of pages of boring documents just to find that smoking gun just a smoking gun to say, you guys, look, this is really what this plan is about, and we already know what the plan is about when you start putting things together, which, you know, of course, they were like, you know, the earth is overpopulated, there's too many cattle, um, we are harming the earth, and it's really, you know, at one point, um, I did start to, I, I cried, I teared up, my, um, I didn't cry, but I teared up, and and, well, I guess I cried because I when I guess when you cry, you have tears coming down your face. But they weren't rolling down my face like they do sometimes when I get in really big trouble. <laughs> but anyway, so you've got you know I I'm so like just sad for these kids that they just these students are adults are not kids that they would give away their power. They would give away their power to people like Al Gore, who's making bank who doesn't give a hoot about them. And here you have a student, you know, a former student like me showing up, taking my time to show up to their class to say, you guys deserve better than what you're getting. You deserve the truth. You're not getting it. And I'm here to tell you, you deserve it. And the more you give away your power, well, then, you know, the comment came back, well, there's poor people and there's people without health care. What do you think about Trump and his health care? And I said to him, we haven't seen it roll out yet. But, you know, here's what comes to mind right now. There are so many opportunities for us to educate others. We have to educate. We have to communicate. And what I see all too often is people hibernating and just saying, you know, I'm not going to make a difference. I know I touched a few students in there today. I know that as soon as I said, you guys, I watched Inconvenient Sequel. I even met Al Gore in person. And I said, you know what? I look for things in these movies and these documentaries that make me go, hmm, really? So one of the examples I use in, in Inconvenient Sequel is Al Gore, you know, it's 
is all very proud that he comes from this big farming family, right? I think they were chicken farmers. And and we get to go in his home in this film, Inconvenient Sequel. We get to go, we fly to the, you know, with Al Gore. We follow Al Gore all through this movie because this movie is really about Al Gore and his tireless effort um, to wake the world up about global warming and climate change and, you know, becoming a better global citizen through sustainable development. And when we go into Al Gore's house, he's reminiscing. There's old pictures on the wall of his family and how proud he is that they were, you know, farmers and ranchers and whatever else. And you look around in his, his, his you know, you, you can see he's, we're in a bedroom, somebody's bedroom in this farmhouse, and everything is white. The carpet's white, the curtains are white, the marble on the counter's white, the bedspread's white, the pillars are white, the chairs are white, everything's white. I don't know one farmer, <laughs> I don't know a farmer, who a, a, a true farmer, who has so much white furniture. In fact, most of our furniture is wood and brown. But anyway, I just brought that up with the students, and I know that something clicked. I know that they're like, okay. And that little, like, that little piercing in their thought process to me was an opportunity to say, okay, where else do we see some in hypocrisy in some of these people? Which opens Debbie, up, well, yeah, they fly up. Yeah. If I can just jump in here. Um, with your opportunity to talk to these children, uh, something that we're seeing in the political climate and, and debate in this country is the lack of intellectual debate and discussion, um, you know, especially when it comes to politics. But I wanted to, to know from you, um, in some of the resistance that you were, you were getting trying to get your message across, were you, uh, did you see a lot of students, you know, if, if sometimes when people can't intellectually debate, they shut down, resort to name calling and things like that. Were these students, um, and have these students been open to suggestions, comments, changes, or has it, have you seen more of, it's not the way I believe, so I'm going to kind of shut out what you're saying? Yeah, a great question. I think that oftentimes we see them, they're, they're already shut down. You know, half the time, um, this, the today's class was actually one of the best that I've experienced. Why? Because they were actually engaging with me. Even though some of it, you know, there was the head shaking and the laughing, and at one point they're pointing out at my boots, and I could see under the breath, yeah, her, I wonder what her carbon footprint on those boots are, and, you know, that was, so you can see that kind of stuff going on, and, um, but, you know, the more, I'm, it's like water off a duck's back. I don't let it bother me like I used to, and, you know, practice, 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 and, 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 I actually, I actually get really excited to be invited to come speak and teach. And then the uh, week before, two weeks before, I start to get really nervous. And I'm like, why did I do this? Why did I say yes? And then the night before, I'm usually up all night. Um, usually I won't sleep because I'm tweaking my PowerPoint and tweaking, you know, my message because I really, really am so passionate about this. And I think that to me these the, the the talking to the students and just seeing the abuse of indoctrination you know hitler said he who owns the youth gains the future and the abuse 
of this, of, of the 2030 agenda, the abuse of telling these kids, these students, these ad- adult learners that, you know, just because you're breathing, you're impacting planet Earth. The guilt we all have to carry around, right, in this climate change, global warming story, whether you believe it or not, to me, it's abusive. It's mentally stressful. It's and, and farmers and ranchers who are saying, you know, what regulation is going to pop up next on my water under the Clean Water Act or, you know, under some new sustainability measure do we have to comply to? Um, you know, what wolf is going to be released? How many more wolves? Those kinds of things. You know, the stress that people go through these days, to me, is unnecessary. It is it is government on our back versus government on our side, which is, you know, how my grandparents you know, we're mostly mostly experienced the United States of America as as a you know I'm sixth generation cattle rancher. My grandparents, you know, didn't experience this heavy hand. You know what? Which reminds me, one of the students at the end of today. And it's really fascinating just to to be in front of students and student learners who are talking about global warming and climate change and trying to get into like how do you pierce that. It's an honor, and I hope that I can encourage some of um, your your listeners and your followers to think about ways that they can um, start presenting to students and, and, you know, whether it's reading in a library. I don't know what it is. For me, I just created these opportunities just because I have a big mouth. I'm chatty Kathy and Debbie Downer all in one. So, <laughs> so just, I think it's just such a great honor to speak to these children and, or these students and to figure out how you can get in. One of the students at the very end of the class, um, like all my presentations usually go, they usually go long. And um, so some of the students left, and there was a student who stayed after, and she said, my family are um, cattle ranchers in Mexico. And she said, she said, I totally agree with what you've said today. She said, we um, we can shoot wolves. Well, in California, in the protected wolves that we have now, if you shoot or honk or you disturb or disrupt these wolves and you're caught doing it, you can go to jail and you could be fined anywhere, you know, up to $100,000. And she said, you know, in Mexico, we're more free in Mexico than we are in the United States. She says, we don't have yeah. government coming on and and my mom was like, "Oh my gosh, she's so and right." Debbie, and as she, yeah, this is a we're up against our our top of the hour break, and this is a good point to to break. But this is uh, some very important things that you're talking about here, and we're going to continue in the next segment in the next hour to talk about this and how this will affect all of us. This far-reaching agenda uh, that will. Uh, again affect us all across the world and we have a new secretary general head of the un i want to kind of get your ideas on what direction he plans on taking agenda 2030 folks don't go anywhere we'll be right back just what kind of thriller predicts the future in three days in the belly of the beast daniel holdings wrote about the god particle before cern actually discovered the god particle in as the darkness falls daniel wrote about an islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of syria and declared a caliphate three years before isis was ever heard of in his newest novel between the veil daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk he says that these novels are a warning from the creator 
to its creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest-yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high-net-worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Folks, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report, our guest is Debbie Bocigalupi, passionate, oh, ever so passionate about what she's talking about, uh, you know, the sixth generation cattle farmer and looking at everything, uh, looking at her, her livelihood being completely, uh, destroyed. And that's not overstating the issue. But equally important, I mean, to make this all about us as well, uh, if we don't wake up, ladies and gentlemen, if we don't listen to what Debbie's got to say, if we don't stand up and say, no, not anymore, not, not one inch further, and as a matter of fact, if we don't go on the offensive to knock back what these um, leaders are, or these elected officials I, I hate to even say leaders because they're, they're, they're puppets on a string of the globalists. If we don't do something right now, 
then not only are we going to suffer, but our children are going to suffer, and their children are going to suffer. So, so we have to, and more and more, this is what, folks, I, I'm, I'm preaching here, and I, I, I guess ranting, I don't know. But you know what? We need to rally around each other, and we need to rally around Debbie. Her website is technocracy.news. Listen to what she's got to say. Back her. Get her message out. Help her get her message out. Um, because the, what's the alternative? The alternative is your life in a uh, uh, 12 by 10. Oh, how glamorous that is to live in, in a 12 by 10 container um, house. It's just so much fun. You know, we're the... There are TV shows out there that, of course, glamorize this kind of a living. You talk about brainwashing. What a bunch of uh, malarkey that is! Just tiny houses. Yeah, like I, you know, I don't know. Tiny houses for uh, I mean, for idiotic people. It works for some people, but to be forced to to do this in the name of of a lie, uh, I yeah. don't know. Yeah, you know, I mean, if you want, if that's the way you want to live, then fine. All right, because you could put one of those houses, I'm sure, in in my foyer. All right. Uh, I mean, I just can't imagine people, normal, sensible people with brains that want to live that way. Before we get back to Debbie, I just want to just welcome to our family of sponsors and our family that uh, products that we believe in. Block it, pocket. Have you gone to Block it, pocket? Do you have any of the items? Marketed by Block it, pocket dot com. I'm going to spell that for you. All right, B L O C K. IT pocket blocket pocket.com folks visit their website check them out they are they are a US family owned company it's it's a, they've got marvelous products everything from uh blocket well, the regular blockets you know the um, the the uh, uh items that you can the pockets that you can put your phone into yeah the uh, RFID protecting right uh, yeah uh, uh, fabric or, or whatever it is. And with identity theft and false card readers being a huge problem, they have the, the, the criminals are always rolling out these new technologies. And, and one of the latest ones is a, uh, um, something that's hooked up to an ATM where they can multiply or duplicate your, your card and get the information from the magnetic strip. And it looks like everything's normal, but there's a little device they place on the ATM that gathers all the information. Well, the big problems. That's now. right. And the chip that are in the, that's in the cards that many said would lead to to more secure uh, debit <laughs> and credit card transactions is actually just as much as a of a security uh, issue as without the chip. Exactly. Well, folks, blockitpocket.com. Their their products include the blockit pocket, blockit pocket, blockit laptop, blockit blanket, blockit hat, apron, headband, handbag, the RFID safe card. You know, they've got so many great products. They're all 100% guaranteed. Um, and they're, they're, they're a great company. So welcome to the Hagman and Hagman family. Block it, pocket. I am just so proud to have them. We use their products all of the time. My wife uses the, actually the block it laptop, uh, for radiation. And, uh, she uses, all, uh, the, um, Block it, talk it to when she's using her cell phone. So, folks, blockitpocket.com. Go there now. Order their products. We 
100% endorse their products and let them know you heard it on the Hagman and Hagman Report. Debbie, thanks for your patience and, uh, thanks for being such an impassioned spokesperson for the truth and everything you do. I could, you know, I could tell, man, it just, it, listening to you, uh, it just tugs at my heart and my intellect. Thank you for what you do. For providing the opportunity for people like me to share with such a wide audience, thank you. Well, you, you certainly are a, a shining star, and, and I'm not trying to—I'm not blowing smoke. Um, I'm, I'm being very honest because if more people would would be like you, go out and and do what you're doing at a cost to you. Uh, emotional, you know, and, and you're not, uh, if more people would, would do what you do and, and your, your writings, your creativity, um, your, your create, your, uh, uh, your research products, all of this, your presentations, thank you for doing it. But if more people would do it, we could solve a lot of these problems, but we've got a long road ahead of us. Long. Take a, and, you yeah, know, and, yeah. and many, I grew up with a dad who, said many hands make light work and I agree if they're the wear and tear um, on not only our vehicles our computers our equipment but you know it even expands um, into our health and um, and I get a lot of migraines after I give or not a lot I get migraines after I give a presentation that um, and and I believe it's because I'm in front of my computer for hours on end preparing and then the worry and, you know, wanting the message to resonate and people to be in action. And so there's a lot of wear and tear on this. And, yeah, I say, gosh, if we had, you know, the majority of the population who are standing up and saying, not that they're not, but, but you know, but that more people who were out there trying to get to just anybody, even standing in the grocery store line, I'm sure I've shared with you before that even when I'm in a grocery store line and in California, they ask us if we want to buy a bag. And I always say, is it a government bag and or something to the sort? Or I won't buy a government bag. Or um, you mean to buy, I'm going to pay 25 cents for plastic to put my plastic toothbrush that's in a plastic container and my plastic food, you know, stored food products that I'm buying from you, I'm going to put all that plastic in this plastic bag and use my plastic credit card to put in the plastic card reader so that you can uh, charge me 25 cents for a plastic bag to carry all my plastic? I mean, just anything, right? I just come up with something that just, like, creates the ludicrousy of all of this, the craziness of all of this. And so wherever I go, if I'm on an airplane, I'm bringing books with me that I'm going to make noise and I'm going to have conversations or I'm going to joke. You know, I went I went to speak in Idaho, which I, I hope to tie into what Joe is going to uh, question. I think Joe is going to have for me coming up. But when I was gone on the airplane and I was hoping to do some skiing in Idaho, um, I I had a connection and I sat right in front of the same couple as I did it from San Francisco to uh, Seattle and then Seattle to Tacoma and we sat in the same like I sat right in front of them on the first flight and I sat in, we all sat in the same seat probably not an uncommon thing but so anyway when I got back to my seat they were already 
seated when I was getting on the plane. They were already seated, and they said, "Hey, we recognize you." And what are you gonna? What are you gonna? Where are you heading? And I said, "I'm heading to speak in Idaho." There's an opportunity for me to say what I'm speaking about, right? Oh, what do you do, right? I open. I I I have little bombs. I drop little bombs that then people want to hear more. And then you know when I know I have. Um, an access to talk about one of these things like global warming. So what was brought up is I said, yeah, after I speak, I hope to go skiing. How's the snow? And I knew the snow was great. Oh, the snow's fast. It's epic right now. And then I'll say something like, you mean global warming hasn't impacted your epic snow? And then I find out, I get a feeling for how people are in my area, right? Because I'm going to get a response. Most of the time I'm going to get... In where I live in San Francisco Bay Area, I get the response of, uh-oh, I'm among wolves right now. I got to go to work, right? You know, there's not this, um, 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 what's that called when you, when you have, uh, not preaching to the choir, but you all, you all agree. So for me, I look for opportunities to speak to people who don't agree with me. And because I know that our war, for freedom and liberty and truth is one person at a time. And sometimes we get really, really lucky and we get really, really blessed and we have a room of 30, you know, adult student learners or a room of 300 patriots who some people have never even heard of Agenda 21 before. But no matter where I go, I am constantly dropping little bombs and 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 putting I don't know how to describe that I'm 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 um creating openings for me to then educate communicate because I will not hibernate until I see freedom and liberty or <laughs> I'm 6 feet un- under um talking to God and saying have you come and got me yet <laughs> so anyway it's it, we everywhere we go there's an opportunity I mean, if you're at a gas station and somebody's across from you also getting gas, all you have to do is comment on the price of gas, whether it's gone up or down. Yeah, isn't it amazing to see that gas prices are dropping? You know, they always talk about our carbon emissions and carbon footprint. I mean, you can go anywhere and have a conversation. And any conversation to me is better than no conversation that continues to lead us down this horrible, horrible, horrible rabbit hole. Called Amen. Sustainable Development Agenda Twenty One yep. Collectivism. A- a- Amen. Um, and people, I think we all need to be more outgoing. Like that, take take advantage of the opportunities. E- even create the opportunities if they're not automatically presented to us. And you know, the, the, the uh, Agenda Twenty One, Agenda Twenty Thirty. This is uh, you know that something that's been. Um, decades, maybe even centuries in the making. Um, you know, the, the manifesto of the UN is transforming our world, the 2030 agenda for sustainable development. They still carry the, uh, millennium development goals that were under agenda 21. But, you know, in the preamble, they, it, it's interesting because it, it doesn't just, um, cover you know, our physical world, there's spiritual undertones in this. They refer, you know, they, they talk about earth worship, mother earth, uh, mother, mother Gaia, um, as they, they say. And, you know, they say that we need to, to heal, 
uh, our Mother Earth and, and treat it as though it was an actual, you know, human being. And the agenda, in their own words, says it's a plan of action for all people, uh, all countries and all stakeholders acting in a collaborative partnership will implement this plan. And this plan is the future of humanity and of our planet, uh, as they say. So this is an all-encompassing agenda. It's universal, as they say in their own world, in their own words, integrated and transformative vision for a better world. And then they say they need everyone's action and participation. And not with to go no off one on, left on this. Behind. Yeah, yeah, that's actually with no, uh, right in their say, preamble. With no one, yeah, with no one left behind. And you know, we talked and about on this show prophecy. What, oh, go, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Well, you said just a, a few sentences back. You said something like a better world or something like that. I don't. I haven't. I haven't memorized their preamble. Sorry, guys. Um, but anyway, something about a better world. Like I want to say, according to who? Mm-hmm. According to who? So you yeah. all, wherever you are, operating, being technocrats, using the scientific dictatorship, computer modeling thinking that, you know, my ranch can handle uh, several packs of wolves. The cattle on our ranch are, you know, food sustenance for their pet project animals that are not about balancing the ecosystem. But so so according to who? That's what I want to get. According to who? Yeah. And, and it's not even just about, you know, uh, healing planet from... Uh, you know, uh, emissions and carbon dioxide and, and litter and whatnot. It's an economic agenda. And in their own words, they talk about combating inequality, um, not only from, uh, uh, redistribution of wealth, but they, you know, they want everybody, you know, a universal wage. Uh, and, and they talk about, uh, it's, this agenda will only be possible if the wealth is shared and income inequality is addressed. This is international socialism. Well, communism. And yeah, yeah absolutely. But it's social engineering at the ultimate, ultimate level. To me, it's pure evil. Wrapped under Yeah, it's pure evil wrapped up in a in a feel good message, uh, to make it seem to play on people's heartstrings and emotions, uh, who don't know any better. And Debbie, if I can and, interject or go Go ahead and finish that thought. I, I've got a question I need to ask you, but go ahead, finish that thought. Oh, um, well, I'm not sure what my thought was at that mom, moment. I have so <laughs> many thoughts that, as as you know, as you say things, different things pop into my mind. Right on how massive this this is. Oh, on saving the environment. Here's what I thought about: is the EPA can do a massive spill, right? Supposedly, they're all about saving planet Earth, and we we need to be we ranchers and farmers and landowners need to be regulated more. They can have a massive spill from a mine that contaminates a river for I don't even know how long, millions of gallons, and they get a hand slap. You do that, you would be in prison right now. And you would be paying out the nose for the rest of your life for whatever damage or no damage you did. It's not about the environment. It's about control. And it's about they get to say what the rules are. They don't have to play by the rules, but you certainly will. And if you don't, 
you will pay, and you will pay big time. This is like, you know, this is goes back to that abusiveness that I was talking about earlier. It is a an abusive government that we are living under. Yes, it is. And, you know, oh. uh, this might be a good time to talk about, you know, we've seen Trump uh, and the Trump administration take away a lot of the the climate change uh, initiatives, climate change action plan that Obama had and remove good all the climate change stuff from the, the White House. There was actually an executive order uh, that he just signed uh, pertaining to climate change. Uh, but, Debbie, we were talking off air, and I guess regardless of what the Trump administration is doing, um, you don't seem to think that it's going to affect the overall United Nations agenda uh, first of all, and then second of all, that it would still, what they plan to do is still going to continue to affect us here nationally and locally, despite what, what Trump is trying to roll back. Yeah, I think that if Trump, you know, if Trump, if, if Trump does what he has promised he would do, which is, um, I believe, I believe he wants to control the power of the UN not control okay so that said that could be said, interpreted way wrong i believe he sees that the UN does not belong in the in the business of the united states of america in our government i do believe that i do believe if the united nations if the united states says we are no longer funding cuz we are the largest funders of the united nations we are no longer funding you I think it'll have an impact. But how long is that impact? Because, look, we're only three years and how many months away from the next election. They have the power, they being the United Nations, the people who, you know, tout the United Nations Party line, the Green Party USA line, the, you know, Social Democrats, um, their, their talking points. So if you're going to march to that tune... And you see that you have an opportunity for the next three years and however many months for the next election. I guarantee you guys, these guys are working really fast and hard right now. They may have gone subsurface, but let me, but let me tell you, the disease is continuing. I know that for a fact. I was just in Whitefish, Montana, and um, right before I got there, Whitefish, Montana signed on with ICLEI the United Nations International Council on Local Environmental Initiatives to help a little rural area like that like Whitefish, which is a beautiful mountainous um snow in the winter, um great skiing by the way. I did get my skiing in. Um just a beautiful little town. And but they've hired a United Nations non government organization called ICLEI to help them through using software, signing an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding with them, which, by the way, in the charter of the, the of ICLEI, it states that, um, I think it's um, Charter Section 1.7, it states that, that you also agree to the Earth Charter. What is the Earth Charter? It's the United Nations Earth Charter, to replace the U.S. Constitution, the we're talking Mother Earth, Gaia, it puts nature before human beings, but it's to replace the U.S. Constitution, the Bill of Rights, and the Declaration of Independence. 
and and someone can look up Earth Charter USA and see what they're all about. It's it's this green movement. It's global warming. It's climate change. It's human beings are bad, and we need to figure out. We need to you know create biodiversity in the earth and reduce our consumption and all these sorts of things. So the fact that Whitefish has just recently signed a memorandum of understanding with ICLEI to take a um, measurement of their greenhouse gases and then work with ICLEI to figure out how the, the town, the city of Whitefish, can reduce its greenhouse gas emissions and move more to renewable. Do you um, you remember who's from Whitefish that Trump has recently appointed to the Department of Interior? Ryan Zinke. So where's Ryan Zinke? Ryan Zinke, that is your hometown. I hear crickets. He should be like, he should have shown up in Whitefish and said, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm, you know, and at that, he was the only congressman for, um, Montana. And to say that he, you know, to, to suggest that he had, knows nothing about this. I mean, these are the people we're asking to, to, at this point, control our lives. So to think that 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 United Nations Agenda 21 is is stalled or under a Republican, conservative, whatever you want to say, I don't know how you describe the White House right now because you would think that with Republican, 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 there might be some big um, movement in places, but we've already seen that there's gridlock. And um, it's, to me, status quo. It's the same as always. And as we were talking earlier, Joe, yeah, I think that locally, so if Trump has an impact, I don't know how great it'll be. It could be an impact where other countries start to, the United Nations, their its um, reputation starts to uh, uh, decline a bit. But again, you have people like John Kerry, Al Gore, Leonardo DiCaprio, a whole host of very, um, Tom Steyer, all these very, very wealthy, um, Sheryl Sandberg of Facebook, um, Zuckerberg of Facebook, Larry and, Larry and, um, Sergey, my former bosses at Google, Eric Schmidt of Google. Those, those guys all, all of them, all of them want to see this agenda moving through, the agenda of sustainable development, they all preach it. They all speak it. So I don't know what Trump's ultimate influence will be on other countries because you have these very, very powerful, rich human beings, anti-human beings, it seems, anti-human human beings, it seems, who are still, you know, pushing the agenda of global warming, climate change, carbon tax, um, social, um, social, the social cost of carbon, all those different agendas and movements. Locally, like in California, how many people even think that Jerry Brown, if Trump does away with the United Nations and quits funding it, how many people even think that Jerry Brown is going to give up his green agenda? He won't. And then he's going to yeah. pull the, oh, we're a state, we're a sovereign state mantra. So he's going to use the federal government where he wants, collecting money for his horrible, horrible uh, management of the Oroville Dam, putting millions of people in harm's way, potentially, scaring the crud out of millions and billions of people as, you know, the next floods and rains come through. So he collected federal money for that, but 
if Trump, if we undo Obamacare, he is going to claim, oh, state sovereignty, right? We ha- we're going to have our own health care system. Which state is the only state that has cap and trade? California. So even if even if Trump says EPA, you're gone, out, no more funding, you're out of here. You're useless. You're destructive. You're abusive. Jerry Brown is going to keep on pushing, and then Gavin Newsom, is, if he's our next governor, is going to keep on pushing this eighty reduce our carbon emissions by by eighty percent from nineteen ninety levels, which they don't even know what those levels were. They weren't even measuring them like they, you know, they should have been. But anyway, so, yeah, I, I, I think that states like New York, California, Oregon, Washington, and some of these other radical left messed up states are going to continue to push cap and trade, a carbon tax, uh, a universal health care system, regardless of the way the Washington DC goes. You know what's um you know so interesting and, and crazy about the you know some of these the main advocates for uh you know the carbon taxes and the implementation of the agenda twenty one uh more often than not you have these you know paid propagandist people from hollywood and and in the news media they're literally paid uh you know cash to to support an agenda whether they believe in it or not and it's hard to fathom that they would even believe in it in the first place because you know these these uh you know hollywood elitists would not be able to live in a world that they're advocating for under those conditions i mean we were talking we mentioned uh you know leonardo dicaprio earlier um but you know when these people start talking about uh carbon your carbon footprint and um, you know, everybody, you know, needing to, to cut back on, on their emissions or greenhouse gases. These people are, are the biggest offenders. And it's hard to imagine that they, you know, I think they believe that they are outside of the general population that would have to conform, uh, to these tyrannical, uh, government regulations. But, and, and back to, to the governor of California, to Jerry Brown, what you said is, is very accurate. They, you know, we see them, Denying uh, the immigration is a great example. They refuse to implement federal laws on immigration because they don't agree with it. But then they turn around, you know, and and say, well, uh, you know, these guidelines or laws we will follow because this is something we we agree with or believe in or are paid to believe in. Uh, but these ones we're not going to follow. Uh, just as you said, you know, we'll we'll conform to the federal norms on on issues that. Um, we, that we agree we with. deem yeah acceptable and and the ones that we don't well you know the government's out of luck and yeah, it is just unbelievable well the you know the hypocrisy in the in the news media and the in these uh in these hollywood people from politics to the the globalist agenda i mean they're really cheering for their own and their you know fellow brother and sister humans for their enslavement Knowing that they, knowing full well, they could never live under those conditions and never would agree to live under those conditions. And, and this is where the Christian conservatives need to speak up. If you're a Christian, how can you even conform to that that line of thinking? Um, the, you know, being subjugated to it to, to the will of these uh, earth worshipping uh, godless or or the wrong god. Um, you know, it just makes it makes no sense. So, wow. Well, I think that we we've kind of found out through um, 
I don't remember her name, Kelly, um, Trump's um, campaign manager. Kellyanne Conway. Um, yeah, and and I don't know if you caught her saying. Somebody asked, you know, how could how how were you so productive with his campaign? And she said something suggested that you know, she, unlike the or the men in Washington D.C. who are too busy having affairs. Well, obviously, there's women in Washington D.C. having affairs because too. <laughs> well, we we hope it's men, women, right? So anyway, but you know, talking about Christians, you know, a lot of them claim in in D.C. claim to be Christians, and yet if you and I was just in D.C. and I was just talking to politicians in D.C. and 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 if you 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 talk to them head on, straight on, and say, you know, you have a problem here. With with affairs, adultery, all these different things, and a lot of the politicians, and they know that. They know that. They know it's a party town. They know that. So, and and you know, if you know me by now, you know I'm not afraid, for the most part, to to address someone. And you know, the the full length mirror is a very interesting place to hang out. It's a very interesting place to spend some time. And so when we've got Christians who are um, saying one thing and doing another, it's. I think we need to be, as Christians, people who will call people on it. And I know it's uncomfortable. But if we can clean up our act so to speak, and not associate with those who are strained and, again, call them out. I think we can pull pe- people back into being the Christians that I truly think that they really want to be, and they're just being pulled away. When, when I see Washington, D.C., when I look at what it is today, to me it's repulsive. It's disgusting, and it's repulsive, and it's embarrassing. Mm. But when I look in the mirror, it's a full-length mirror. It's an interesting place to be. And who have I been that the greatest nation in the world is so upside down now? So who have I been, and what do I have to do to make it right side up? And we have to begin with ourselves. And that goes with Agenda 21. It goes with our local government. It has to be local. It has to start with us. doesn't matter what happens in Washington, D.C. It's a pretty messed up place right now. But And, and our greatest strength is in numbers, but also locally. Our investment should be local in the children, in the students, in the teachers, in the, you know, even those politicians in, in our local city council meetings who have gone to bat for us. I can think of my former mayor, mayor right now, Matt Grocott, who went to bat for us on trying to get to stop my city, the city of San Carlos, from signing on to ICLEI. And I think that happened in 2010 or 11. I can't remember because it might have been a little bit later than that. And we all showed up to stop, you know, the city from signing on ICLEI. We were unsuccessful. I think we had 40 or 50 people there from all over, um, from Santa Rosa, which is several hours away, from Monterey, which is several hours away. 
And what Matt said to me one day is, he said, you know what? Every Monday night I go to battle for us, for the people who are the conservatives, the people who believe in freedom and liberty. And he said, and I saw you all around that time, and he said, I haven't seen you guys then. And he said, I am dying on a vine here. I go to bat for us all the time. And I said, and, and he said, it would be nice to see people show up and support me now, you know, while he's in these meetings, while he's in a city council meeting. And so are we doing that across the nation? Are we showing up to these meetings to show those people who have stood up for us the, in the city councils, the board of supervisors, whatever it is in your area, are you showing up to the meetings every once in a while to say, hey, I'm just here to support you and to give you energy and to keep you going? I mean, there's so much we could do, and there's, as Christians, is making things right, as people who support other people, as someone who's going to get themselves involved. And, and by the way, I don't go to city council meetings, so I'm not saying these are all things I do. I don't. But I should be. I could be. I should be. And then there's that little voice that says, I don't want to. Right? I don't want to. There's that gap between knowing what to do and actually getting in action and doing it. And whether you're Christian or whether you're a parent you're, or any. But you're active on other fronts. I mean, that's you. Um, yeah. It's, it's but I can also, I can yeah. always step up my game. All of us can always step oh, up sure. our, our game. Sure. And we have yeah. to. Yeah. Yep, and the question I was going to ask you earlier, and, and I, I, it seems like we're, it seems like I'm bouncing around. And I don't mean to, but, but I mean, people might be listening to this and saying, "Well, this is kind of a, this is kind of a nebulous topic, and things are not going to, uh, you know, maybe things are not going to really affect me that much." But if you really think about this, and, and please correct me if I'm if I'm wrong in, with respect to this, but. And again, I, I, and I don't want to micro or downsize the subject to these small issues, but I, I think, you know, for example, um, the 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 quality of our lives being affected under the pretext of sustainability. Um, the uh, I'm just trying to think of things like the low flush toilets. The um, what do you call those light bulbs? The squiggly light bulbs that that everyone that yep. no wants to use and put in. Uh, that, that and don't you look terrible, and light. everyone looks terrible right. under them. Oh, you look terrible, you know. <laughs> and and yeah. then that running commercial, you know, the hotels are are um, you know putting in water monitoring monitoring sensors to yeah, you know, cut down uh-huh. on the shower water output in the showers. There's I just saw a commercial sure. recently where. They're, you know, they have a, a big campaign to, to get kids to brush their teeth. Well, they're showing commercials now. Shut the water off. Yeah, shut the water off while brushing your teeth. I mean, all these, um, <laughs> you know. It, I mean, not that it's that's crazy. a bad thing. No. But, but don't, don't ram the police enforcement down my throat. And then but, you had in California with the droughts, people getting fined for watering their grass. And I can see in the extreme circumstances. But, you know, the, but, the, but they make it seem knowing. like water is some sort of. Go ahead. Yeah. Also knowing, you know, the other side of that, the water situation in California is, so yeah, they, they have this new mantra, brown is the new green. So a brown lawn is, is green, right? Brown is the new green. And they think that's a cute slogan. When you know, when you find out that the government, the California state government is flushing millions of acre feet of water out to the ocean, just wasting it away. Yeah. Whether it's 
for the Delta smelt or look at all the water wasted in the Oroville Dam or from the Oroville Dam because they, for 12 years, were were not addressing uh, the potential um, breakdown of the spillway. So they had to release tons and tons of water so to relieve, um, you know, take pressure off of the spillway and the dam. So wasted water when they could have, we could be building storage lakes here in California. California is a naturally um, a drought-ridden state. It's, we've had worse, worse droughts you know, years and years, years ago. We go through droughts all the time, but every year you hear, oh, my gosh, historic drought, historic drought. Right? Why? Because they want to push us. They want to nudge us. They want to scare us using scare tactics to make us change the way we think and the way we act. Um, it's called behavior change. And so with the water in California, things that people are hearing now is that farmers and ranchers, agriculture takes 80% of all water. Well, okay, let's think about that. You put a, a cup in the middle of a field, and how much of the water are you going to capture in that cup? Not very much, right? Well, we in California only capture, so there's, you have 100% water. I hope you can follow me on this. It, all the water in California, whether it comes from snow melt or rainfall or precipitation or, or whatever, perspiration or whatever, you think about all that water. Of all the water that, that lands in California, we can't capture it all. It's impossible. You would need a huge cup in order to capture all and a huge storage facility to capture all that water. So most of the water actually goes back to the environment already, automatically. Of the water that we can capture in California, it's only 40%. So 40% water is captured, meaning we can use it for something, whether it's for municipalities, um, shower, sewage, cities, ranching, timber, you know, watering, um, agriculture, 40% of that. So 40% we capture. Well, because of laws, regulations, the Endangered Species Act, of that 40%, 50% off the bat goes back to the environment. So you have the original 60% approximately. Now of the 40% that we capture, 50% goes back to the environment. So you're left with 40% for ag and 10% for municipalities, cities, sewage. Huge difference from what people are being told in the news, which is, yeah, agriculture is so not only carbon intensive, but it also takes a lot of water. And an almond, you're hearing all the thousands of gallons it takes to create an almond. Well, when you look at the big picture, that we are, we only capture 40% of the water, and 40%, 50% of that 40% automatically goes to the environment. You're left with a smaller amount of water, and we use it wisely. So the government is now releasing more water into the ocean. So, you know, it's, and then, so now we need to, now we have water scarcity in California when we could, when we've been known to the world as the breadbasket of the nation, the sixth or ninth largest economy, not because of gold. Gold put us on the map, but agriculture kept us on the map. And so, you know, it, now we're seeing an attack on our agriculture. And so, it, to me, it's, you know, it, when, when people understand the bigger picture, like when you see a low flushing toilet, imagine at a concert and you've got all these people using that low flush toilet, what is eventually going to happen? 
going to overflow. It's going to get stuffed. When I was at the Rio Earth Summit, one of the houses that I stayed in was um, in order to control your use of hot water because hot water takes energy. You've got to heat it up, and and then you get hot water eventually. But in order to get hot water, you if you turn the shower spout on full full blast, it was freezing cold water. But if you barely turned it on to where it was dripping, and I'm not kidding, you got warm water. But that's, you know, I think, Doug, those are kind of the impacts that you're talking about, like that, that right. you know, take a really good look at, you know, what about solar and wind? What if, the you know, for weeks and weeks, which we've seen this, it's cloudy, there's no wind, and it's rainy, it's cold, there's no sun coming through. The energy is not reliable, it's intermittent, and it's, it's you know, it, and it's poor, and it's costly, so there's huge impacts in all of this, and absolutely it, it impacts every single one of our lives, every aspect of our lives, and, and, and the reason that it is so intrusive is in their own words. In, in Clinton's President's Council on Sustainable Development, it was his, his Clinton's Executive Order 12852. They stated in the document called Agenda 21, I think it's a Sustainable America or something like that. I don't have the document in front of me right now. But that every human action must have a collective individual and collective decision-making um, response. So every human action, that's breathing. And mm-hmm. every human action has an impact on the environment. So therefore, we must make individual and collective decision-making levels at every level in order to um, mitigate the impact of every human action on planet Earth. And Debbie, uh, think of this. You know, a lot of people have been seeing an increase of what's called the Internet of Things. Um, These are Mm -hmm. all different things that that hook up to the Internet. We're seeing smart washers, smart refrigerators, smart thermostats. And one of the, the key agendas in this is um, information gathering and monitoring of uh, consumers' habits, and they can, you know, see uh, it's coming to a point. And I remember in Canada, you know, they can adjust your thermostat if they think you have the air conditioning on too high or the heat on um, too high. And this also, you know, goes to back to the Agenda 2030 and what they talk about um, as some of their their goals. And they talk about how we're going to have to change the way we live. In, in this uh, 20, Agenda 2030, they say we commit to fundamental changes in the way that our societies produce and consume goods and services. It also goes on to say that sure. governments, international organizations, the business sector, and other non-state actors and individuals must contribute to changing unsustainable consumption and production pattern to move towards more sustainable patterns of consumption and production. And they go on to say that our our current consumption and production patterns are unsustainable, and they they uh, attribute that to our lifestyle. They say it's clear that current lifestyles and consumption patterns of the affluent middle class involving high meat intake, consumptions of large amount of frozen and convenience foods, ownership of motor vehicles and electrical oh, yeah. appliances. Yeah, you're, you ain't gonna be owning to a car. Air condition, uh, expensive suburban housing are not sustainable. That's right. So having a car. No, yeah. Having a freezer car and a fridge. Will, you won't, you won't have car ownership in 15 years, I, I believe. 
Yeah, so what they want to do is fundamentally change lifestyle and consumption patterns to uh, what they say is sustainable. And what they say is sustainable, obviously, is not what any of us would think is sustainable. And what they're talking about is rationing what uh, they accept for food and energy for the rest of humankind. And that might not, you know, uh, equate healthy living for all the rest of us. Yeah. That, 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 you nailed it. It's, that's it. And I know even as you were going through those items and coming up with examples, in my seat right now, I was saying, gosh, that just sounds impossible. And mm-hmm. if I hadn't been researching and spending thousands of hours in these documents as you guys have, I'd be saying, you know what, this is crazy. These, these agments, they're so crazy. They don't know what they're talking about. But you absolutely have nailed it. And this is why um, we see scientists like Dr. Willie Soon, astrophysicist from Harvard, uh, Dr. Will Happer from, uh, he's from Princeton, Dr. Patrick Moore, who started Greenpeace, uh, he's in Canada, um, Anthony Watts, um, all these people, all these true, in my opinion, true scientists getting more and more active because they see that time is limited. And unless we reverse um, even the EPA's endangerment finding, which, you know, I just found out about the endangerment finding, which is, you know, numbers that um, where we can admit certain amount of carbon dioxide emissions and that it was a court case and that the EPA has based everything on this court case um, that the federal government must follow. When I heard endangerment, I was thinking endangered species or what. It is an area that here I am thinking, you know, I know all this. I don't know. I don't know all this stuff, but I know enough to have conversations wherever I go about, you know, I can, I could talk about this stuff with, even if you're going to talk about a baby, I can bring this subject up. I mean, it doesn't matter what subject comes up. I can tie it back into Agenda 21 because it, in fact, impacts every aspect of our lives. And the fact that these scientists who are, who I just mentioned, Lord Moncton, who go around just like we do, trying to um, alert people and 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 like we're warning them this is coming it's here you may not feel it yet but other people are feeling it but there is this opportunity right now with this with the Trump administration to to infiltrate with information the truth to get Trump you know his daughter Ivanka is a greenie i just found out Chelsea Clinton is one of our great friends um, Tillerson, that's um, what's his position within the Secretary within the Trump administration? He wants us to have a seat at the United Nations. He wants to agree with the Paris Agreement. He wants, and this is what. So we need to get to these people. We have to get to these people, and then we also have to get, keep engaged because in less than four years we have another election, and it's going to be here really, really fast. And every single day, I say, is a voting opportunity. We vote every single day with our with our dollar. Find out more. What's what other companies are in the Business Council for Sustainable Development besides Walmart and and Disney and Coca Cola and and use your dollar to say I will not patron you. There are so many other stores and shops and that you know that that aren't 
toting the green agenda in the United Nations Sustainable Development Party line. Don't shop at Walmart. Do whatever you can to not shop at Walmart. And and patron, you know, mom and pop shops. Let's grow mom and pop shops. The only way that we're going to be able to do that is we draw a line in the sand. We understand what's going on. We educate ourselves, and then we act accordingly. And we have to lead the way. We do. I mean, we, we... We need to show up, we need to play our positions, but we also need to take up the mantle of leadership in this respect, and, and I totally agree with you. And we, we need to kind of follow your lead, I believe, because you've been out there really shouting from uh, uh, the rooftops as well as inside the belly of the beast behind enemy lines at college campuses and elsewhere. So, um, yeah, you know. You, I love you, that. Show up. We need to show up. But do not shut up. There you go. <laughs> and be right. loud and proud. Educate, yeah. communicate, but do not hibernate. <laughs> Especially in the fit, you know, we, we talked about the political climate in this country and how we see these tactics from the opposition are no longer about debating on the issues. They're about silence, drowning you out. They're about uh, censorship because they don't have... Uh, logical or arguments that have any common sense. They, their only tool now is is to um, silence their opposition, and expect that to increase when dealing with um, you know debating global warming or man-made climate change, uh, because it is increasing. And for whatever reason, whether a lot of these people are are paid or they believe um, that this is the best thing for the planet, and you know one, one thing that really gets me is. We heard so much about proselytizing in the last decade, how, you know, that so many people are so sick and tired of Christians telling them that Jesus is the way and they feel like they're being, that viewpoint's being forced down their throat. Well, you know, look 10, you know, 10, 20 years later where we are today. Um, and these same people who were complaining about, you know, uh, having this viewpoint forced down their throat are the same people now who tell you you have to believe the way they believe, and if you don't, uh, you have no right to the free speech. And it's going to be, we're going to get to a point where we will be arrested, we will be fined, we will be completely silenced out, not because of the lack of us saying things, but because the opposition will not allow or tolerate the opposing views in order to, to you know, uh, get their agenda across as fast as possible. So there's never been a yeah, better time than now. Right, and you know, and even that story is playing out in the Bundy case. You know, the Bundys were proven innocent; they they're not guilty, and yet they're still being held in court right now. I think they have some continuing court proceedings, but because they weren't going along, I just read just a sad story about from Ryan Bundy about how they're being treated in prison. They're put in solitary confinement. I think what they are being put in is something that. I stumbled upon uh, several years ago called a communications management unit, and it's on Wikipedia, and um, you can be a uh, U.S. citizen. You don't have to be a terrorist to be thrown in one of these communication management units. I was listening to a late-night um, uh, religious channel. I don't know what it was, but they were talking about how um, 
conspiracy theorist, how they thought that people who could be described as a conspiracy theorist, that would be me, um, because I talk about Agenda 21, and we know that our politicians like to say it's a conspiracy theory, even though we know it's fact, and Nancy Pelosi was the one who was pushing H. Conrad's 353, United Nations Agenda 21, Sustainable Development in the United States in 1992. And so even, uh, even you know, U.S. citizens who are innocent and they just talk, you know, uh, bad about their government can be thrown in these confinement units, units where you supposedly lose your First Amendment rights. Well, things that Ryan had written and that somebody transcribed from a phone recording from prison was that they threw him in this dark cell because they were trying to stand up for their First Amendment rights. And so they were then, um, the Bundys were then called angry. He said in these, in these dark cells, there's no light, there's no, you know, out, outside light, there's a toilet that doesn't flush. They don't have, they can't brush their teeth. There's, you know, there's no toothbrush and no toothpaste. And when they're getting ready for court, they clean them up, they put them in, in regular jail cells or, or clothes or whatever. And then when they show up to court, they look like, you know, everything's great. So when you read these, like these stories like this, and I just read this two days ago, and, and I was crying as I was reading it to my family, just going, this is unbelievable. This is America? That you would treat innocent men worse than you would treat someone who is here illegally? So these men who were not proven to be guilty for anything, and you've got illegal immigrants who have murdered people. Mm-hmm. And they're being treated with more respect. I was in one of the, I know we're going down to the wire here. I was in the court case in, in, in the first hearing with the guy, and I can't remember what his name is, Francisco something. He was the one who, in San Francisco, think about Kate Steinle, who got killed, murdered by an illegal immigrant who is in Sanctuary City, San Francisco, he shot on Pier 4. Kate Steinle ended up getting shot and killed. I was one of the spokesperson for a rally that we did at that time. And shortly after that had happened, and Obama pushing the, you know, sanctuary cities. And anyway, I showed up to the very first hearing of Francisco, whatever his long name is. And I remember the judge calling him Sir. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, sir. And maybe that is a proceeding of the court, right, where everybody is called sir and thank you. And, you know, there's just this, oh, my gosh. I, but And, and then we, we, we treat innocent people like the Bundys as if they're trash. I mean, yeah. it's astonishing to me. that. And where yeah, are and we? It's, you know, it's like I, I, I feel helpless. I feel helpless yeah, and, and in our system. I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Well, what what can we do? I mean, and Debbie, we are at the, in the closing uh, moments here, but you're exactly right. I mean, uh, what what happened with the Bundys? They we were found innocent of the uh, the Oregon standoff, but as soon as soon as that happened, the government, you know, was was very vindictive, went after them for what happened in Nevada, and they're still being held in jail. You know, and it's selective prosecution. Absolutely. Just like the Center for Medical Progress exposing the abortion, uh, infanticide, murder mills. Debbie, I mean, and you're right. The yeah. you know the illegal immigrants and and so many other groups, um, they're getting you know special treatment, 
and you know we see everybody else who's who's a law-abiding American citizen is almost put on a lesser tier than um, you know these special interest groups where they want special rights and privileges and and for some reason the government you know is bending over backwards to give it to them. But folks, we've reached the end of our time. Uh, Debbie Bacigalupi is our guest, and uh, just a fantastic job. Two full hours of of informative Agenda it. 2030. Uh, the United Nations, you know, revamp of Agenda 21. Um, anything upcoming? Any any talks upcoming that you have? Anything else you want to promote, Debbie? Yes, RedPillExpo.org. Go to RedPillExpo.org. It is a super fantastic, awesome conference that um, I'm planning with Patrick Wood, G. Edward Griffin, um, Doc, uh, Joel Salatin, the lunatic farmer. Ty Bollinger, who talks about cancer, um, Robert Kiyosaki, um, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, Dan Johnson, who is the eight, at 18 created the People Against the National Defense Authorization Act. We're getting tons of people. It's in Bozeman, Montana, guys. So much fun. And what I'm planning, um, if we get a big crowd, I'm planning some pretty special things, but it's, it's not your normal conference. Oh, so, Check it okay. out. Sign up. Red yeah. tail? Red? Red pill. Uh, like blue pill. Red pill, red blue pill, pill choose. Oh, like red, the Matrix. Red pill. Got it. Redpill.org. Wow. Okay, well, and you're uh, going to be there. Red pill expo. Pardon me. Redpillexpo.org. Yes, I'm planning it. Red so, pill. Yeah. All right, Debbie, thank you there. so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. We've reached the end of our, our show. Tomorrow, Pastor David Langford and Steve Quayle will be with us, so make sure you don't miss that. Stay oh, we, safe. We Have a good get night. we got to that Red, Red Pool Expo. God bless you, Debbie. Thank you.